In the most divisive of times, the great debates rage on. Who was the best Batman? Was the book truly better than the movie? Did Han shoot first? Nerds with opinions will seek to answer life's greatest questions. Hello there, fellow nerds. You are listening to Nerds with Opinions, episode number 111. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holbin. Today on the podcast, I am joined by returning guests, Logan Herzog, Brandon Kester, and Amanda Murphy, and we are back discussing horror films, and the theme of this week is 90s teen slashers, and we are specifically discussing I Know What You Did Last Summer and the meta horror classic Scream, all today on Nerds with Opinions. All right, I am back with my returning guests, Logan Herzog. Yo. Amanda Murphy. Hello. And Brandon Kester. And we are reconvening once again to discuss uh, a weekend of horror films that we're watching as a group of friends in the uh, Halloween Horror Film Fest that uh, I host. And we are discussing the theme for the evening was 90s teen slasher and we are discussing the 1996 Wes Craven classic Scream and then the 1997 horror thriller I Know What You Did Last Summer which honestly felt like a, a film that was spun out of the su success of Scream so I think this was a kind of a fun um, double feature so I think I think we, I, can, I know where everybody's head's at. So how about we start with what we kind of liked and get to what we really, really liked. So let's start with I Know What You Did Last Summer. We didn't watch <laughs> it in that order, but I think, I, I think we'll all have more to say about um, Scream. So I Know What You Did Last Summer. Had anybody here seen that prior? I had not, no. That's actually the main reason why I voted for it uh, over uh, Final Destination was just because... I hadn't seen it before, so. Right. I had seen it once. It was a while ago, though, probably at least a decade, if not longer, so. And Brandon, you hadn't seen it either? Yeah, same boat as Logan. Uh, one, I'd seen Final Destination, but not this movie, so. It was a new one to me. So, with, now I'm just curious, because it seems like everybody voted for this out of having not seen it compared to the other choice, which, you know, as you listeners probably have now if ascertained, question, it was Final Destination. Um, my question is, without getting into a review of this, did you end up liking this less or more than Final Destination? No, I definitely have regret in my vote. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> How about everybody else? Um, I wouldn't... I, I'd have a hard time voting one better than the other. I mean, they're just different movies, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. How about you, Murphy? Um, I think that uh, Final Destination, or sorry, 
yeah, Final Destination would have been a better follow-up to Scream because um, I Know What You Did Last Summer seems like a much slower burn. And so after Scream, like, which is a fairly fast-paced movie, um, it just felt like a drag a little bit. I can see that. Um, yeah, I think sequencing uh, played a factor in that. I believe that... Um, I don't know. To me, I think if I'm comparing it directly to Final Destination, I think it's that I agree with Brandon that there are different movies for sure. But I think if I'm weighing just kind of the the good and bad of both, I think they're fairly comparable. Uh, I think they're both pretty entertaining movies, pretty solid. Probably haven't held up quite as well as Scream. Um, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> but I... I do think it is interesting that you mentioned that this is it's a it's lacking in some excitement watching it immediately after Scream. But all right. So let's let's dive right into it then. Um, I just I was curious. That was a, a, a fun thing just to just to wonder about in terms of indirect comparison to Final Destination. So. Uh, I personally had seen this when it first came out, uh, really dug it. And I've seen it a few times, but it was all still in the 90s. So it had been a a long while, but I I remembered it fairly well. Really simple premise. Uh, It's basically kind of plucked from the urban legend of the guy with the hook um, on his hand or, or wielding a hook, whatever you, you know, whatever your version of the urban legend was. And they even, you know, bring that urban legend into, uh, the story, mm-hmm. which I, I enjoyed and basic premise. Cause we're going to spoil all over this because these films are super old now. Super um, old. There's no such thing as a spoiler for this. Anymore. Right. Uh, but basic premise, a group of four, uh, well, I was going to say friends, but then there's the kind of the weird relationship with Freddie Prince Jr.'s character. But he is sweet on Jennifer Love Hewitt's character. And Jennifer Love Hewitt is buddy-buddy with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Ryan Philippi. And the three of them are on, like, I would say the proverbial uh, right side of the tracks. Whereas Freddie Prince Jr., the suggestion is that he is not as wealthy. And so it would be kind of on the wrong side of the tracks, that whole yeah. uh, dichotomy. And they're about to... Uh, all leave their their hometown because they've graduated and they go out for one last night of partying uh, and teenage fornication and alcohol Ooh. consumption. They should have it, known. It, it happens <laughs> and uh, nobody was really in their right head to drive, but the least drunk person did drive, Freddie Prince Jr., and they hit a person on their way home and the person is seemingly dead. And then they have to then make a decision as to what they're going to do. And the group consensus, they are democracy because Jennifer Love Hewitt is absolutely outvoted uh, that they're going to cover it up, dump the body and forget that it ever happened. And then we are, transported to one year later where all their lives are seemingly not as sunny as they were it's, when we it's left It's important them. to note that it was very clear before they disposed of the body that it was not, that the person was not dead. And so 
it did puts a totally different spin on it because it's not just covering yes. it up anymore. Now that's straight right. up committing murder. Right. They left him for dead, but yeah. for sure may not have been expired. Yeah. And then the movie really kicks off like our main part of our story and that they are now all receiving um, messages uh, that say, I know what you did last summer. And then that brings them all back together. And then thus our story really goes. So decent synopsis, eh? Yep. Uh, And I, and I do think that like, it's got a good basis. So let's kind of talk about that, that first part. So this has a lot of kind of the nineties teen tropes. I mean, just with the cast list alone. Um, but I mean, this was like for 97, this was a banging cast. Yeah. So I want to talk about the main cast because I found that this many years removed, I loved some of their portrayals and hated some of their portrayals. So uh, let's just kind of kick it around. Let's let's talk about the, these four. Any thoughts? Well, it was uh, Rachel just got done watching a bunch of Buffy, so seeing Sarah Michelle Geller was like, oh shit, like, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> I don't think SMG is bad in anything. Yeah. I, no. I like her in everything. I, I enjoy She's not the character. one I'm concerned with here. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> go on. <laughs> no, that's what, uh, who, who, who's your concern? Um, so, okay. I, I, confession time, confession time. So 1997, <laughs> Matt Holden had the biggest crush on Jay love. Oh <laughs> Yeah. I adored her. I thought she was just the cat's meow. And not to say that she isn't the cat's meow, but the cat's meow isn't necessarily a good actor. Um, I She was not as good as I remembered. Like, she's not terrible, but uh, she's, she's a little rough around the enge- edges. So she's kind of like right below SMG in terms of just bad. Uh, Ryan Phillippe actually surprised me, but I hate his character. I think his acting was good, but his character is the fucking worst. Well, the, he did a good he did job. A great job. Exactly. <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. is a garbage person. So bad in this. Yeah, it's yeah. not great. And I, I remember really liking Very him bad. too. And I don't know if this was just a bad role for him, but the guy that's like, I, I okay. So the way I describe it is, he's in a pet, perpetual state of surprise. Like, what? Ooh, like ooh. he's got this like dopey look on his face. Yeah, he's just like mouth a hanging open. Yeah, like, you know what? Just just because we can, since we're on Zoom, I want to just just show you what the there's this like screenshot on IMDb. I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen, and I just want everybody to react to this because he's got that fucking face. Can you see that? <laughs> he's got the slack jaw thing. Like, yeah, is it like head forward, like caveman look? <laughs> yeah, I, and the thing is, it's like I don't think that the suggestion is that he's like inept or dumb or anything, but he comes off like a little dim because he's, the whole entire like, time, like he doesn't seem to be grasping the situation, like the yeah. gravity of the situation. Anyways, those that's my, that's my thoughts on on the four. But. To be fair, and I'm not sure that this is this is probably making excuses, but. It could because everybody else is from, like you said, the right side of the track. So for them, this is like, oh, my God, oh, my future and everything. And he's just more like, eh, this is fucking life. <laughs> okay, that, that went in a way better direction than I thought it was going to be. I thought you were going to say something like he's dumber because he's what? poor. Oh, no. <laughs> like, and I was like, good God. <laughs> he's not afforded the education that the other three are. <laughs> 
gentrification the classist has, has uh, argument to come from Logan tonight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the things that struck me about the cast, um, I don't know Ryan Phillippe that well and the things that he's been in, but the other three, um, I seem to remember them all playing sort of like goody two shoes roles a lot in the nineties. Totally. And it felt like this was all of them trying to break out of that stereotype and some of them it worked and some of them it didn't. I felt like. I, I think that's a pretty... Uh, yeah, I think that's an accurate uh, look at this because I think I, I, you know, I don't, I can't quite remember. I mean, we could look at their, all their filmographies, but I think you're right. And I think maybe the only person that had played like the bad boy, and that's maybe why they, they're like, you're the bad boy is Ryan Phillippe. There is this like, have any of you seen the movie Cruel Intentions? Yes. So I did spend like oh. the first half of this movie going like, okay, so Cruel Intentions was definitely later, right? So this was this the first thing that Sarah Michelle Geller and Ryan Phillippe were in together? Like <laughs> I kept like thinking about it. and then I was like, oh, okay, also when did her and Freddie Pinch Jr. meet? No, that had to be Scooby-Doo, right? That had to have been earlier than this. And it was a whole thing. Right. So oh my God, Scooby-Doo. Yeah. So what's it? Yeah, there's like a really interesting crossover with all these four. Like they they were in different movies, you know, or or, or things at, at different times. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think specifically of Cruel Intentions because it's not doesn't have the horror lens of this, but it has the thriller lens, and it's like an erotic thriller, but. Mm-hmm. Like a suspense that, suspense thriller too. Like yeah, that's a podcast for another day. That movie is fucking insane. The I love uh, it. You love it? Yes, because I, it's I just, don't because it's like just it's one of those few mute movies that's just like horrible people making horrible decisions over and over again, and I love every second of it. <laughs> I, I I don't like, want to get deal too with the far. Consequences of your actions, you turds. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that movie, but. Like I, I it I do enjoy it, but oh my gosh, the ancestral relationship between SMG and Ryan Phillippe is whoa, dude. Yikes. Like that <laughs> moment where she's hiding in his fucking clothes drawer in lingerie <laughs> is so bizarre. Okay, that's again, I don't want to get too far into that, but um, they are step siblings, but yes, in the drawer. You don't remember it, that? They're very- I haven't seen it. They're very, oh, oh, very okay. rich. So they have like these oh, okay. huge dresser, dresser. I'm just like looking at my dresser, my, my poor ass. I'm like looking <laughs> over there and I'm like, no, I don't think so. No. See, you're, then see, then you would be dumb just like Freddie Prince. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wrong side of the tracks, man. So, but I do think that that's evident that there's like clearly some chemistry between them, which is, you know, which is funny because then of course, like her and Freddie Prince are, you know, married in real life, but there is at least some, some, romantic on-screen chemistry between her and Ryan Phillippe, um, you know, or, or, or weird tension, I guess, because then they're, they, they kind of love hate each other. Uh, yeah. Well, cause they point. were like in a relation, I think they were dating in the beginning yep. when they hit the guy. And then like later the year later, they're like, yes, we when everything fell apart. The event tears them apart. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I like, I like the contrast between the like graduation night or I guess it wasn't graduation night. It was 4th of July, wasn't it? And then the year later retrospective of how the relationships have all completely changed. And, you know, the the girl who's going to leave town and go be a model somewhere is still at home working for the family business, you know, that kind of thing. 
right. yeah, I agree with that. I think um, that they did. The writers did a good job at capturing the essence of a small town and the essence of teenagers from a small town. Mm-hmm. And uh, because, I mean, really, the secret is very is handled in a very small town fashion of like. We're going to we're going to cover this up. Nobody needs to know, you know, it kind of had that like every small town has its secrets sort of thing, um, mm. which I dug and I agree with you, Brandon. I liked the the look at living with that burden. Uh, it, it it's, you know effectively ruining all their lives outside of Freddie Prince, which I do think I enjoyed the fact that they had one person that was affected, but not as much as the other three. And it was the guy that didn't have like the material, you know, um, possessions and lifestyle that the other three did. Yeah. Well, and kind of going back to that, uh, you guys were talking about his face always being in this like slack jawed what kind of look like he just always seems to be in a constant state of disbelief. So it's almost that he's like maybe convinced himself a little bit that it didn't actually happen, you know? And so maybe that's just why he goes around all the time. Like, what are you talking about? He just forgot. That's why he's doing so well in life. (laughs) He's like, Oh shit. Wait, we fucking killed the guy. (laughs) (laughs) He was like the only sober one. too. So it's like, oh man so yeah so I, I i think there is an interesting character study like brandon was saying of their relationships and how their characters are prior to this event and then post that Ooh. and then them kind of like having to come back together um you know and in, in the end we we have this kind of reunion um of freddie prince jr and jennifer love hewitt romantically because they uh i think it isn't it's it's, i know she's a virgin is he a virgin as well when they sleep together on the beach yeah so i think she loses her virginity on the beach but is he Um, a virgin too i don't know if that was stated nobody cares about 90s team movie so i'm assuming (laughs) that we can just assume that it's, I mean, it, it would it would not be cool if the guy was a virgin too. So I'm I think they probably because I think they kind of subtly hint that he's maybe at least more experienced. Like if not him having sex, like he's probably had some sexual experiences. And so he you spent she that like, like entire year on a barge or or and, and boat boating around and shit. So maybe. Hey. Uh, yeah, I mean that. How could that? That isn't necessarily going to stop him. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. I know that's what I'm saying. Maybe he caught something. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> also, can you sidebar? Can just like... uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully not uh, an STI. So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> can we just sidebar too, real quick, about what a terrible place a beach is to lose your virginity? Oh, bro, no, like, we were talking about that. We were like, don't have wow. sex there. And no blanket, no. nothing. Just, just, yeah. just, just raw dog yeah. right on that sand. Sand everywhere. <laughs> oh, good lord! Yeah, I mean, they both seemed very happy afterwards, though. So they must have figured it out. Surprisingly, not the worst choice they made that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, close, second. <laughs> close second. Close <laughs> second. Um, 
So, yeah, so we have like in that, you know, beginning, we have all those tropes and it didn't necessarily seem um, it didn't seem tropey in the sense that, oh, this is just badly written 90s teen slasher. Like they they seem like it was there for a purpose to then set up what what happens because of, you know, the the drinking and, and, and whatnot. Um, so I enjoyed that because a lot of times I think where uh, partying and whatnot in especially slasher films, it's used as just like a really lazy narrative device oftentimes. And that kind of whole like thing of like, oh, if you drink or have sex, like that's, uh, you know, it's you're not pure anymore and that's why you get killed and whatnot. Yeah. And I like this more out of that, you know, that making those bad decisions led them to, you know, this accident, but they could have rectified it, but they didn't. They, you know, tried to bury it. And this guy's just out for revenge. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I enjoyed that. I think then it's like, okay, so these tropes aren't necessarily just there to be there. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that if, if anything, that's like, probably the best thing this movie does uh in my opinion is kind of like set that up and actually use those um that whole thing i like the intro part it's the only thing that i that ruined me for this one is is the pacing of the movie and it's and i think a lot of it has to do with because there was kind of a really good build up there of tension and everything and then like it's like one year later and it's just like oh like I don't know. I didn't really care for the fizzle in the middle and then took a while to ramp back up. And then I was like, do I care anymore? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Okay. That's fair. So let's, let's move right along here. So they, they become reacquainted um, out of, you know, these threats to them and immediately deaths start happening around them and they're, they're clearly being stalked and whatnot. And this kind of all leads up to, again, like, like what you guys were saying one year later at this, uh, this town has this like 4th of July sort of event. And Sarah Michelle Geller, she was like, uh, I, I, I don't even know. They had a name for it. I can't remember, but like whatever the town event is, she was like the, pageant queen of it yeah the beauty pageant queen yeah some sort of beauty pageant queen something queen something and the outgoing queen has to basically like pass on the crown to the the incoming queen and so she has to be a part of this and this is kind of their they they hatch this plan eventually to this is how we're gonna like lure him out um you know we're gonna uh he's gonna be around here he's stalking us and whatnot, but in between, then um, there is suspicion on Max, which Max may be one of my favorite characters. I feel so bad for him. Um, oh, totally, dude! Like J- Johnny Galecki plays Max. Did nothing <laughs> wrong, poor guy. <laughs> he just he and just likes J Love like me. I mean, come <laughs> on. That's probably why you, you feel so um, bad for him. Matt 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 identifies with Max. <laughs> stepping back a little yeah. bit too, he does kind of catch them in the act while they're trying to hide this body and figure out what to do. Yeah. They never really reveal if he, like how much of that he actually saw. Right. Like as far as like 
really understanding how much he knew what was going on there. Because obviously he kind of like pulls up in his he pulls up in his truck or whatever, right? And just they end up like being like, Okay, go move along, please. Yeah, they just make it look like Barry's thrown up or whatever. That's right, yeah. And so and so she talks to him and then he, he takes off and probably didn't even see a damn thing. Well, the one thing that I like about Max is that you know, other than maybe kind of just coming on a little too strong with Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, he he seems just like he's just a nice guy. He's just, you know, interested in her. And the Barry character, Ryan Phillippe, is just a fucking dick. And then Freddie Prinze kind of, you know, jumps into that just kind of out of defense of like, yo, that's my girl, that kind of that kind of thing. Um but the one thing I enjoy about when they go back to the town and Max is kind of reintroduced that I don't know about you, but the very first time I saw this for maybe five minutes, I thought, oh, my God, is fucking Max the killer is like there's there's kind of a a, a suggestion that he might be. And then he he's quickly dispatched um, after that. But I, I like that. Yeah, they, tease. they burst that bubble. <laughs> yeah, because there's that moment where they they're like at his like workplace and he's like slinging the fish or whatnot. And he had, he has a run in with them mm-hmm. and he has that, like they walk off and he like looks over his shoulder and he's staring at them. And it's like the most iciest cold look. And then you're like, is it just because they, that group has collectively treated him like shit or is, you know, is because is he, he the knows actual, what they did last summer. The, and he, is he actually the killer? Um, so I like that there's a few red herrings here. Uh, also, another side character I think we should um, bring up is um, Missy Ann Hayes' character, who they believe is the uh, sister of the guy that they they hit because they basically track down um, who the guy is and they track her down. And she's like a, the classic red herring. Like I, I live in a fucking murder shack in the woods. I'm a like backwoods redneck. They come up and she's like, ha, like hacking at dead meat or something <laughs> like that, like uh, rotten meat or something. But I enjoyed her too. And I, I actually, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I don't really love her as an actor, but I thought she was good in this being kind of creepy and somewhat aggressive, but then also like, she clearly just needs a friend. Jeez. I'll be honest, that whole scene just mystified me because <laughs> nobody's acting logically <laughs> or everybody's just being weird in that situation. Uh, explain how you mean. I, I think I'm picking up what you're referring to, but. So they, they travel down this long country road and pretend that their car broke down, even though there's nothing around for miles and they're going to call AAA, right? And then. And Haisha's character just kind of goes along with it. And, uh, you know, they're, they're like, they're trying to uh, scope out the place and see what, what evidence they can collect. Cause they're kind of doing this investigative journalist or private investigator type thing there. And um, they start kind of like nosing around her house, but she doesn't get suspicious of them at all. Um, so it, it's just weird. And then they end up going back to, uh, their car after the whole ruse is is over. Well, they don't get found out, but it ends. They go back to the car, and then Anne Hayes' character 
comes up and is like, Hey, you forgot your cigarettes. Just, just like jump scared. You know, out of nowhere. <laughs> and it just, the whole interaction felt weird to me. Just like Matt was saying, it's a red herring, but, but maybe like a little bit forced that they were like kind of jamming mm-hmm. it down your throat a little bit. And since that, because of that, it didn't seem organic or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was one thing about this movie that I think like they had just a few too many red herrings for me to the point where when the real killer was revealed, I had to like fully backtrack in my mind and to figure out like who it was and how he was related. Well, especially because it's like, oh, some random person that it's not any of the people yeah, that, so that like, we've well, seen before. Like, well, why? <laughs> sorry, Matt, we're probably getting a bit ahead of. Oh where, no, where no, actually, I, I, I was, I was kind of like teeing that up. Actually, um, yeah. So I, I do like that that because we brought up Ray. That's Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, right? Yes. Ray. Um, he's the one that's least affected by everything and whatnot. And then, so they use him also as a red herring too, right. kind of, and because he's a, he's a fisherman and then like, they're like, Oh, and that's then, what they wear and everything. So, yeah. well then he's got the, the Billy blue, the Billy blue boat. boat yep. So, okay. Yeah. So to expl- okay. To quickly go over that. So when they meet Anne Hish's character, it's revealed that, um, her brother was there on the, on the rocks or, or out, out there by where they're at. Cause they're on this kind of like, um, coastal road. That's where the accident happens. And there's like these cliffs like down to the, the water. And he was out there because he was mourning his, uh, girlfriend and whatnot. And, um, and, but then the girls, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar, they're like kind of questioning, like, you know, was there, um, they're asking and asking uh, about David and whatnot, and then Anne Heche mentions a friend. Oh, he's a fisherman, you know, Billy Blue or something like that. And so then that's kind of like a little, a little nugget dropped, and then you know they they go on from there, um, and then kind of when we're seemingly you know having like the killer revealed, uh, yeah, they find out that Ray has this this boat billy blue and so then yeah then it's it appears like oh no he's the killer yeah and then it all goes to um let's see here i let's uh ben is is the actual killer and ben is the father of uh i believe it was Susie julie oh wait no 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 Susie. yes um Susie and Susie was in an accident with David prior to the accident that led all, you know, it started our movie off and he was out there drinking it. And we have like a quick shot of that at the very, very beginning of the movie. Um, and so basically Ben, Susie's father is wanting to exact revenge, which I, I agree. I think that is yeah. the weakest <clears throat> part with that. He's not, necessarily related to what this group of people have done so no ben is the one that they hit right because originally it was so so ben went and killed david is that his name 
Ben killed David and then was crossing the road after having killed David right. and got oh, hit by them, again. but they didn't actually finish <laughs> off Ben. And then so Ben might have just murdered David and then gone home and been like, well, now I'm done killing. But now that these kids like mangled him, they're like, he's like, well, fuck you. I'm come, I'm going to kill the shit out of you now. And so, yeah, exactly. No, you're, no, you're right. And I, I guess I did a bad job of explaining that, but, um, I think where it gets a little, it it works when you present it like that, but then, and it might be exactly what Amanda said, where maybe there's too many red herrings leading up to it, because just saying it like that, it sounds smoother than when it's revealed, where, it oh, well, I, I was out there to toss this guy off the, the rocks because he was in an accident, he was driving and he was in an accident, it, my daughter got killed, and now I'm after you guys because you left me for debt. It maybe has an extra layer that it doesn't need to have, but then maybe yeah. not. And maybe it was just there's too many swerves prior mm -hmm. to that. Well, I mean, because if they're going to go with the the person you tried to kill and left for dead but didn't actually finish off is killing you now, like they didn't necessarily need the added um you know, ties there for previous accidents and stuff, unless they are purposefully trying to go for so many red herrings, you know? So it's like mm -hmm. almost feels too forced kind of thing. And in the long run, I'm not sure who the killer is really matters all that much. Um, Ooh, because because they're, the, the person who's after them is going to be after them, no matter who it is, if that makes sense. I guess, I guess there's an, the, the idea that you know, the police could arrest them or whatever, but, but find, finding out who the killer is just doesn't feel consequential in the end. So, okay, do you mean that <laughs> in the sense that it doesn't matter that it was convoluted in this movie, that it, it or it doesn't matter in a sense of... It, it doesn't matter because they made it so convoluted. I, I'm guessing I'm just wondering like how you're meaning. Um, in, in the end, the reveal, you know, we find out who it is and he's not stopped from killing anyway because they, they end up on his boat and, you know, away from the police and whatnot. Um, so uh, I'm, I don't know, it just didn't really have the impact on me Okay, that's, that's what like, you mean. Okay. Oh, we figured out who you are, and we're calling the cops, and you know that. Yeah, that you're kind like, of why like, do I care? Thought <laughs> like, does, yeah. Um, well, it is interesting too, especially with being like such a surprise, because I, like I, I don't think that you could watch this movie and predict that, but I think maybe that maybe that's the problem with it is that it it is there's. <sighs> they put out so many red herrings that really weren't like you said that, you know, they didn't necessarily matter. And then because like, we didn't have at least enough of an, like an obvious tease that it could be this guy. So maybe that's why it's like, okay. Yeah. It's um, not like this guy was used in any of the setup prior to the, to the first kill or anything or that, that any of this family was used in anything. It's like very loosely related by, the girlfriend of somebody who we're investigating. The only connective tissue is when Anne Heche's character is talking about her brother and yep. his girl. 
and, and like, w- which still doesn't directly, you know, add, it's still like there's a, a once more removed connection there. So yeah, yeah, they like they tried so hard to make it a surprise that it was such a surprise that it didn't make sense. <laughs> I wonder if let me let me paint a picture here. I wonder if maybe it would have been more effective if this guy spent a whole entire year studying his prey. Because the other thing that is a giant hole with this is like, okay, he sends them some letters to kind of bring them back. But what if they just would have been like, nah, I'm not going back there. Is he going to chase everybody down? Why would you? That's a a part of me was like, no, you don't go back after you get that letter. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So we're kind of too we're left to infer that, you know, he did some investigate, you know, investigating and, and kind of tracked them down or whatever. But I think maybe what would have been more interesting is we would have seen a little bit more into Ray's going ons and they worked together as fishermen for a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a way where we could have been introduced to him prior. And just like, even something is just as casual as he's on screen for one shot yeah. And like, oh, it's just a, it's just it's a guy that he works with out on on the ocean. Um, yeah. And because I think that's when reveals are really good. Because you're like, oh, that fucking guy that was. Yeah. Whereas like when he is revealed, it's like he's it's the only thing that you have to connect him to anything is like, oh, so it's just he's like he's not even mentioned. His daughter is mentioned in passing. Like it doesn't show her anything. We definitely don't have any connection to him. So maybe that's the way that you kind of remedy that something like that. I don't know. If we were to go back in time and rewrite the script, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I I don't know. I think we're, we're, we're really kind of uh, picking uh, at things here, but anyway, so that's, that's the reveal. They, um, they basically then uh, they you know best him um, Ben and Julie and you know seemingly like ah oh, everything's okay and whatnot but I mean kind of there's still like it's it's left open because he's like tossed in the water so we still have that setup of like could he be gone you forgot and the best he, part though so what's the, whole, the best part the whole setup for this is the the uh, killer with the hooked hand metaphor, right? And then right before he gets tossed oh, in the right, water, yes. he gets a rope wrapped around his wrist and he gets dragged up to like a, a pulley and the pulley cuts his arm off, or his hand off. And then he yep. gets thrown in the water, setting up the like, like, oh, he's going to have a hook hand next time. Oh, shit. The, uh, if, I haven't seen the sequel, but if he doesn't have a hook hand in the next movie, they're missing out. Like know what they're doing. He might. <laughs> I've seen it. Um, actually, I will say uh, I'd have to watch it again, but I've seen it, and I, I think it's it's pretty solid and comparable to this. So, um, so that happens, and you know he he's left in the water. You know everything seems groovy. They jump ahead another year. Now they're kind of like everything's back to where they were hoping it was going to be, what their hopes and dreams were before this event happened. Julie's off to college. She's doing a good job. She's ready to return home to see Ray. He's he fucking loves fishing. He doesn't need to leave his hometown. He's just he's just a simple <laughs> fisherman. No big deal. Um, and then she's like, you know, taking a sh- she's going to take a shower. And then uh, there's a message left on 
the the mirror and it says, I still know. She's like, <gasps> and then, it, you know, kind of similar to, I think they absolutely kind of borrowed from Friday the 13th, the original, where you have this thing of like, is it a dream sequence? Is it a figment of her imagination where the killer jumps through the, the mirror, you know, very similar to Friday the 13th, where uh, l- little frog boy Jason uh, pops out of the water at the very, very end. Um, and and again, and the suggestion is like, OK, is is the final girl? Is this like her dream sequence or whatnot? I just uh, I have to say about that, since you brought it up, I just watched the movies that made us about the Friday the 13th episode as well. Yeah. And that's <laughs> so funny because that was not originally intended to be in the film. That was something that was added in last second. He's like, why are we doing this? Oh man. I can't wait to watch that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I didn't know that. Yeah. What a trip. But uh, yeah, no, it's totally like, uh, it's like a cash grab to set up. Well, and it's like totally like a thing to set up a sequel. Like it's like, like you said, an homage, but it's also kind of like part of the formula, you know, that's, but the up. guy going through the mirror, they didn't have to do that to set up. No. Just the, the I still know. Yeah. That would have been enough. Good but enough. I think they're just like, we have to have one last one jump scare. One last jump scare. Exactly. But it completely takes a film that for all intents and purposes is very much like a classic slasher based in reality. And then it like adds this weird like supernatural thing. And I think that's one thing that I, I get a kick out of it. I laugh at it, but I don't think that's a good thing that I'm laughing at it. No. Because it makes zero sense. Like, okay, he jumps through a fucking mirror. Like, unless that's two-way, like a two-way mirror, you know, it's glass on the other side. Okay. Again, like there's way too many ways I have to explain that to have it make sense. Is so. it the shower door? That she sees it. No, in? dude, it's like a fucking mirror over a sink. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Cool. So there would be theoretically a wall behind that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like I said, th- yeah, I, I was giving it like the the stretchiest explanation to like, okay, well, maybe it's a wall, but it's got a room on the other side, and he built this fucking <laughs> like secret layer where he can spy on her while she's showering. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's just a water monster but... now, and he's hiding in between the little crevice between the <laughs> the the uh, mirror and the wall. I will say though, in terms of a jump scare, it made me jump because I forgot that was in there. I remembered that I still know, but I I forgot that he jumps through the mirror, and so it it made me jump. So I could tell they were going to do something there because they lingered a bit too long. And uh, um, I'm gonna uh, this is gonna be part of my scoring of this, but. I like the way that they generally set up tension in the movie, but I think they let the tension linger a little too long, almost everywhere, including that scene. So I want to ask you all, because it seems like I think everybody here has mentioned that, like, there was some pacing issues. So Mm -hmm. this is sitting at an hour and 41 minutes, so not overly long, but I want to know from everybody, what would you you don't have to tell me what part unless you want to. But time, you know, like uh, running time wise, what would you trim this down to? Like, do you think that it could lose 10 minutes, 15 minutes? More I, don't than necess- that? I don't even necessarily, for me, know that it's a length. I okay. think it's like an order. And I don't even, I don't know the answer to fix it, but it's just, 
there's almost like a false start it feels like to me whenever they're setting up the event because it takes a little while to set it up so there's like that crescendo for it but it seems like it takes long enough that maybe it was ramping up for the main action but then it fizzles and then ramps up again so that's my issue with it i don't know if okay if anybody else feels that way but yeah it's less of a of a length thing and more just like a uh, uh. <laughs> okay gotcha uh, I would agree as far as like it not being as much of a link thing for me as well. Um, I think the fact that you get to know the characters in the beginning and then it skips a year and it's like a formative year for them. Right. And so you have to kind of relearn who they are again. So if they've maybe done something, and I think this was kind of mentioned earlier, maybe done something where there was some lead up to knowing what they were doing during that year or even just little glimpses or something that kind of didn't make it. So you felt like you had to relearn who all these characters were. Um, and then I think also it, the multiple red herrings plays into it for me as well. Cause then it, 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 I think just having so many people that they're now other people that they're introducing and then you're like, well, is it them? No, is it them? Is it them? Um, I think that adds length as well as just kind of some repetitiveness even though it's obviously not the same scenarios over and over again um but i think ultimately for me as well the um it kind of feels more heavy into teen teen drama than it does horror for me so like it's obviously a horror movie and there are plenty of horror aspects to it but the teen drama side of it just feels more prevalent than what i prefer in my teen slasher movies yeah, I think it's this sits a little more in mystery thriller than yeah. horror per se. If you know those kind of genres, um, I, I do think it is horror. I mean, because like there is some horrific stuff. Like the way that Johnny Galecki does is rough. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. Like in comparison to the film we watched before this, it, it's it's child's play. <laughs> you have some mm-hmm. thoughts on this, Brandon? Yeah, I, I think they could have just trimmed maybe even ten minutes. Here, like taking from here and there, not necessarily any one scene. To just that's what I think. Bit, um, because the I think the scene that I fell asleep at was the the uh, parade scene. Uh, so it's the the year after she wins the crown and she has to go be in the parade. Um, that whole scene was. Uh, I I think I know what they were trying to do there. They were trying to show that these people are just trying to live their lives, right? And things are normal but they are constantly on edge. But the whole scene is them just like watching out for the killer and the killer is clearly just messing with them. He's like, you know, running around and and doing things. And then, um, and there's like 20 red herrings because there's so many men wearing uh, rain slickers. <laughs> yeah. And, and that whole, that whole scene was just kind of too long, I think. And is that the scene where Ryan Philippi's uh, character gets murdered or is that a different, scene at the that's at the beauty pageant and okay. he's up on the top floor when he's up on the balcony yeah it's after that yeah, yeah. that's after it okay um but yeah See, the, they all kind of run together <laughs> yeah and then and then also the the final scene on the boat where um freddie prince and j-lo j-love are running around the boat and she she's been she's been in every single part of that guy's boat i swear to god because that's that final sequence is probably 15, 20 minutes of them just chasing each other around the boat. Um, so I think it just overall too much setup in most of the scenes and, and not enough payoff in some of them. 
Okay, so I have another question for everyone, and I, I, I feel like I failed and didn't uh, do this in the first two weeks, and I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, not that it wouldn't necessarily applied for like the week prior, but uh, best kill in this movie. Best kill, favorite kill. Mine's mm. jo- Johnny Galecki. The, the, the first introduction so. to the, think, the hook. Yeah, I think that one's got to be the, the one that stands out the most for sure. I think his is the best, but Ryan Felipe's is definitely like the best as far as like, oh, thank God that fucker's finally dead. There's some, <laughs> there's some satisfaction there. <laughs> Hard agree with Amanda. Hard agree. <laughs> I do think, though, I got to be honest, and I think that maybe why this doesn't have quite the teeth of a scream is even though it's rated R, I I don't think it's it's as scary or as gory for a slasher as in direct comparison to scream. And so watching this afterwards, you're like, it's it definitely doesn't have the teeth that that scream has. I don't think. Yeah, agreed. Okay, uh, Brandon, you got a you got a best kill, or did you say yours? Oh, to just one hundred percent agree with Amanda when Ryan Phillippe's character dies. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, because like outside of those two, I mean, like what? There's like one or two other kills. There's, I mean, because really, like, there's a couple kills that are not necessarily like done in the timeline of this movie. You know, yeah. like Susie or whatnot, but um, and then clearly uh, Ben getting hit by the car and then Ben being dumped in the water. Those aren't like confirmed kills. So right. maybe uh, maybe not a kill, but uh, something gruesome that 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 hand getting ripped off is is pretty gnarly. Yeah, that was um, I enjoyed that. It was, it was cheesy, but uh, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, you mentioning that like that was the good like looping it back to the urban legend that that was nice. That was nice. All right, so let let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's get down to rating this. Um, out of uh, ten hooks, ten oh, ice God. hooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Uh, let's go around and uh, and give this a rating, and then I'll let you know what it's sitting currently at with IMDb. Actually, I have a quick question though. Brandon, did you cheat, you sneaky? No, I, I didn't. Little um, sucker. So the reason I looked up, or the reason I saw the last ones, because I needed Doing to refresh some research. my memory. I'll, I'll give you that. So um, this one, these ones, I did not look at the scores for. Okay, I, then you don't have I to totally, go last then this time. I totally did. I'll go last. Okay, you I, go last. I, I, Brandon I, I, had to go last last I've, week because I've he... got them all. I've got them all pulled up on <laughs> on my other tab here. But um, no, I completely agreed with the ratings of both movies. Honestly, so um, yeah, I, I well, like, uh, well, about exactly you, how so I feel. You're, okay, so you just have to go last in terms of when we do the guessing. But you like if you have a rating right off the top of your head. Um, no, sorry. I'll, I'll I'll wait. You, okay, Amanda. Fair. Oh me? Oh. Yeah. Um, um... <laughs> I love it. You just pick somebody. You're like, <laughs> you have to go. <laughs> I. I'm like anybody that wants to jump in. Logan's like you. <laughs> yeah, I think I will uh, rate it. Oh gosh, this is so hard because IMDb doesn't do half rating. So. Um... I, we, we I'm gonna go with this. Like if if you if you really if you're feeling no, if you're feeling a point five, you got, <laughs> do it. I'm gonna do six. Um, 
out of 10. I, again, I think, I think it's just as far as tend to rate my movies more by genre rather than by like, like comparatively wise it's compared within genre rather than like wide scope of movies I've seen. So as far as like horror for me goes um, again, it was a little more drama and less horror. So I'm going to go with the solid six. I like how you rate movies like that. I can't do that myself, but, but I, 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 I appreciate that. I, I know it's weird. The film student in me, like I, I, when I, I want to be like, in the realm of 90s teen slasher, <laughs> this is like in this micro like, like a fucking yeah. seven, but well, then, so but I, then I always go like, but compared to the Godfather, right? <laughs> yeah, so I don't get that granular with it, but I think it's the easiest way for me to give ratings to movies because, like, having seen so many movies, I have to categorize it somehow. Oh no, you don't you don't have to justify it. I appreciate it. I just wish that my brain would work like that, but I, I, I always talk myself out of doing that compartmentalization <laughs> anybody else i guess uh i'll go next so um i think this is probably a six for me as well um i i don't think the slow pacing is necessarily a bad thing and i i love epic fantasy so i'm used to like slow pacing world building that kind of thing um this just kind of is a touch too much of that if if they were to trim this by like ten minutes, it'd probably be a seven for me, honestly, because um, it's it's it has some fun tropes that it plays with. Like um, it, it's not a like who's the killer uh, type thing, but it's a who did we kill type thing, and I like those kinds of uh, well put messing around with with tropes and things like that. So there are some fun things um, to it, and um, oh, one one thing that I forgot to mention. There's a scene, there's a bunch of scenes where she's doing like a bunch of online research about people and deaths and things like that. And that was like pretty advanced for the, for the time. Like um, you didn't really see people doing sort of investigative journalism type stuff in the late nineties, really. So I kind of appreciated that aspect retrospectively about it. That's a good point. Yeah. All right, Logan. I, I think, I think five is what is where I'm sitting with it. And that's mostly just because, like I said, I, I don't know. It might be because it's kind of dated for me, too, because I never saw it before. Um, and I know, like, Matt, you said you saw it, like, yeah, right when it came OG, out, yeah. yeah, and and everything. And Amanda's seen it in the past. And I don't know, just, like, something about it. I'm just like, ugh. I mean, I'm like a old curmudgeon now, too. So I'm like these damn kids. <laughs> uh, that's totally fair. No, I, I yeah. again, like, uh, we've been kind of analyzing that. We, I, It's... Oh God, I hate to say that 13 Ghosts was the catalyst for anything, but it really was where <laughs> now there's this been this running theme where where like I think that especially with this genre that some films don't hold up, but people that saw them when they came out originally can have more love for them just purely out of the effect of nostalgia. Mm-hmm than somebody that's coming into it new. And I think 13 ghosts is a perfect example of that because I, so Logan, you were on the pod then, but I was telling everybody that conversation that we had with like Craig, Andrew and Hannes. And they're like, that's one of the fucking greatest horror movies I've ever seen. And then you and I are like, what is going on? Are we talking (laughs) about the same movie? I was like, are these guys just fucking with me or are they being serious right now? 
Yeah, and yeah. what got me? Uh, yeah, I uh, I was editing that podcast today, and uh, at lunch, and and Craig, I mentioned that Craig was like, honestly, that's one of my favorite horror movies. I was just like, just about ready to die. I I couldn't <laughs> believe that he said that. Um. So, uh. So I I totally I I can totally get that. Um. For me. I'm going to agree with Brandon and Murphy. I think this is a six for me. I, I think for the faults that this film has, it's, it's still pretty solid, especially considering the time period and, um, the, the tropiness that is seemingly in this movie. Uh, I, I, I think it's, I, I will say I think that um, it maybe lost a little bit of its of its bite, like I was mentioning over the years. I, I remember being a little more freaked out by it um, and a little more intrigued by it as a kid. But, I, I you know, watching it, I'm like, you know, it hasn't been like a, a massive drop off for me. Um, but that being said, I, I think that it's a pretty, you know, pretty good. OK, average uh, film in the grand scheme of things. I definitely don't think it's bad by any means. Um, and there were some things that uh, I really enjoyed. Like I said, it just reaffirmed to me that Sarah Michelle Geller is an absolute queen and uh, is good in everything. Yep. All right. Any guesses as to what this currently has on IMDb and not Logan? <laughs> yeah, I'm like he's literally looking at, looking at it right now. Logan Blink for how many stars this has. <laughs> How many hopes? zero stars? <laughs> Actually, before we do this, uh, Brandon, you said you you nodded off a little bit in this, and then you introduced the uh, I don't remember how what you phrased it as. Oh, oh, Z's, yeah. yes. How many how many Z's do you uh, give this movie? Seems solid uh, five Z's score. So if you wow. if there's a movie, that, Ooh, the highest one, um, the highest one thus far. Maybe yeah. Um, only because Thirteen Ghosts was yeah. so enraging that I had to stay awake to experience how bad it was. <laughs> Malignant, you gave three Z's, mm-hmm. uh, and I believe I don't remember which of the two in the not so scary night, but one of those you gave three Z's yeah. as well. Yeah, this is a solid five, just because some of those scenes were Monster Squad. I think you gave three Z's. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I think this one, they, again, they could have just uh, trimmed up some of those some of those scenes to make it you know a little tighter. I want you to write a film review blog and just have. <laughs> It, have it be what purely through the lens of through? did I fall asleep? How long did I fall asleep? <laughs> Why did I fall asleep? I, I'll have some things to say about. Was the this movie, movie bad, and that's what fe- led me to f- fall asleep, or was this movie really like nice and relaxing, and that's what led me to fall asleep? <laughs> no, no spoilers. Make that happen, please. That is my right. wish. No spoilers for the next uh, episode, but uh, I slept through some some movies uh, la- this most recent week. <laughs> But it was difficult because of all of the uh, the screaming that was going on from all the other participants. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear the Z score uh, for that. But uh, for now, let's talk about. Uh, let's guess this IMDb score. My guess is five point four. Okay. I'm gonna guess like a seven point five. Oh. oh, all right. Coming in, coming in yeah. hot. All right, Logan, wh- what is it since you're looking at it? 5.7. Oh, 
Oh, oh okay. Well, price is right rolls. It's pretty damn close, <laughs> yeah. man. Which, it's pretty damn close. I'm not going to go too far down this rabbit hole because I think maybe last week we got a little too far down this rabbit <laughs> hole. But I, I am clicking into it just because... Logan, uh, we discovered there is some analytics in terms of demographics, and it's oh, kind shit. of fascinating. And then your wife uh, really was enamored with this and was just like, Let, let's play a game. And we stayed on another hour after we got done recording. Like, what, what's what's the gender demographic? What's the age demographic? Yeah. Because uh, it's kind of fascinating. But um, so it looks like just purely just on, on votes and whatnot, um, the – the 5.7 is reflective because uh, the majority of people have given this a six, but there there's a decent amount of sevens and there's a decent amount of fives. So that makes perfect sense. I, I don't think that's like a completely, that's not as much of an, you know, a, just ridiculous score that I've seen, you know, on, I mean, on we IMDb. all kind of, like, we all kind of rated it roughly the same anyway. Yeah. So, I mean like that, that actually, so. that average is pretty reflective of kind of what we gave it. Um, I love the age breakdown on this though. Yes. It's isn't interesting it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's what, like young, uh, it looks like younger is, is uh, so clearly rating that higher. Clearly just, I mean like, just the 30 to 44 demographic, which is, makes total sense. This is millennials that have, that watched this originally is, is the majority of people that are voting on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty interesting stuff. Let's jump now to scream, which is arguably, you know, the film that kind of it, uh, it, Basically, there wouldn't be an I Know What You Did last summer movie, that is, because it was a book originally. I should have said that. Um, it was it was adapted from a book. But I, I think that the reason that probably got greenlit was because of the success of, of Scream. All right. So okay. diving right into this. Had everybody seen this prior? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, uh, not like not a long time, like a couple years ago was my first time. So fairly recent. How about yeah. uh, Brandon and Murphy? Yeah, this came out when I was in middle school, and I saw it, uh, I don't know if I saw it right away, but I saw it pretty close to then, um, and yeah, it was it was seminal, like everybody referenced it. Uh, it, it kind of set the tone for horror movies, I feel like, going forward. So I, I've, this is- Brandon, one... did you ever, did you ever dress up as Ghostface for Halloween? <laughs> no, but so many people did. So many people, including my stepbrother, he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> um, and uh, this, this is actually one of the few movies that I think this is the third time I've seen it. Um, so I've seen it multiple times. Okay, Murphy, you're a little younger than Brandon and I. Uh, when did you come upon Scream? Um, well, let's see here. So uh, the Scream would have been one of the movies that my sister uh, had me watch when I was way too young to be watching horror movies. So um, you did see it kind of probably right around when it came out then? Um, probably not right when it came out, maybe like two, three years later. Um, and, Still, that, oh, no, you I were know. young. It wasn't, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't uh, great. Well, it was great for my love of horror, but, uh, but and, then I've, and then I've seen it probably three or four times since then, scattered throughout that time frame. Um, yeah, always been like the teen slasher of teen slashers. 
I'm going to be honest, everybody. This might have been like the 15th or 20th time I've seen this. Yeah. Oh, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is my shock. So I'm going to just I'm going to just say right away. I am extremely biased with this movie and I, uh, and I recognize that and I know it. And that's part of the reason why I, I chose it because it was, it's actually been kind of like back this for many years now with this particular like movie night thing. I I've wanted to make it happen. Um, and so th- it just, it just felt right. But uh, so anything I have to say about this dear listener is 100% subjective. So biased. <laughs> I, I recognize that. All right, so we've we've established a baseline for where everybody's at with this. So actually, I want to go to Logan because it seems like you saw this for the first time the most recently, and then have it sounds like seen this at least the least amount of times com- comparatively out of everybody. Um, so first time you watched this, did it seem dated to you, and uh, did it seem dated at all this time? Only a little bit, and obviously there's some things that, you know, date it more, like the fact that, oh, he has a cell phone, so he must be a killer. It's like, well, obviously nowadays it's like, it's fucking like eight-year-olds have cell phones, you know? So there's like right. some stuff like obviously like the world and everything around it are are dated and whatnot. But I, I don't know. I, I still really like the film. Uh, the first time around was definitely... Um, I think I enjoyed it a lot more on the second pass than I did on the first pass. I appreciated it on the first pass for what it was and everything, but um, yeah, I didn't, I I think I needed the second time through to really kind of see it for what it was. Why do you think that is? Um, I think also, well, so I'll be honest. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've been going to a lot of the Halloween movie nights that you've done. And so I've gotten a lot more appreciation for the genre and everything. And this movie pokes so much fun at the genre itself and everything and references all these classics and everything. And not only directly talks about them in the film itself, but also just references the formula and all these different things about those movies. And so having had a greater appreciation for the genre and all those other films, I think allowed me a lot of like Easter eggs and a lot more things that I can really relate to in this movie, especially on the second time through now. I, I, yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense to me because I do think this movie is, I, I don't think it's completely like ineffectual because of the, the references, but I think it, it's one of those that it's it is so meta. Yeah. That very it's, self-aware. It's more fun if you're in on the uh, the winking to the audience. The, I think that's with any sort of meta based narrative. It's more fun if you're kind of understanding the joke. Mm-hmm. I, I think like the Deadpool movie, if you you know, if you understand that, like, the reference to the Wolverine origins and then, you know, the fact that there was Deadpool in that and, Mm -hmm. you know, and so the stuff he's saying about Hugh Jackman or he shows the little action figure with that doesn't have the mouth on it and everything. Of course, like if you don't know that, then it's going to be like, well, what's, what's that all about? So it's, it's obviously, you know, more enjoyable. So that makes perfect sense to me. All right. So, um, diving into this, then Brandon and Murphy, did this viewing hold up? Did it kind of, was it a little diminished? Did it just kind of strengthen your feelings on this? 
Um, I have always enjoyed this movie every time I watch it. Like I did, I don't think I've, yeah, even this time there was never a point where I was like, oh, okay, I've seen this too many times or anything. Um, the fact that it does pick fun at itself and has those, all those references and is very meta about it is, I think it helps keep it fun because then you're not directly relying on it to just scare you. Um, and that being said, I mean, there's still a surprising yeah. amount of, uh, like jump scares that that movie that that movie has that still get me occasionally. Oh yeah, and and I, Amanda, not to piggyback too much, but I'm going Come on, to. buddy. Um, I I've I've come <laughs> to find out I I think that uh, some of my favorites in in the horror genre are the ones that kind of have a little bit of a comedy aspect with them. Um, and so I think because says the guy that lost his mind over American Werewolf in Paris. Rachel, and London, were, excuse me. Rachel and I were just talking about that before I came back here to do this. So yeah, that's that's totally what I'm talking about. So um, yeah, I think that I can agree with you. Like like the fact that it's kind of like got the the jokes and stuff. It's like even though it is still scary and there's still some gore and stuff. It's like yeah. The, yeah, there's comedy. something mm. really good about a, yeah, a horror movie and especially like a, a teen slasher movie that just doesn't take itself too serious, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like the way that the meta-ness is incorporated into the movie. So like two double meta. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they do it be, by way of all these teenagers are kind of obsessed with horror movies, right? So they all know the tropes of the previous generation of movies. And so that gets blended into the movie because they're. Um, can can we spoil a, a little oh, bit ahead? Absolutely, here? man. Uh, yeah. Again, th- <laughs> the, this the killer, one's 1996. Let's go. The killers are obsessed with horror movies, and so they're emulating that. That right. Totally. So it was totally appropriate that I, I I feel like it's totally appropriate that they're the meta ness of it is justified in that way. One hundred percent agreed. Uh, so what's really interesting, and I, I, I don't know if a, a ton of people know about this. Um, so I, I had seen this movie prior, not Scream. I'm, I'm going to mention another movie that Wes Craven did, who is the director of Scream. Um, but I had seen it a really long time ago, and I just kind of did a, a rewatch of the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. And Wes Craven directed the original Nightmare on Elm Street and then dipped out, had some writing, producing involvement in a couple of the other ones, and then was like, this is really not what my creation was, didn't want to have anything to do with it, then was so bothered by what his creation had become, because this is the point where just Freddy was just ridiculous and just a a comedy act more than a, a villain. He came back to the franchise Uh, And they did Wes Craven's A New Nightmare, where the basic premise, I was just selling Murphy on this, like, yo, you have to fucking see this movie, especially now that we just we watch Scream. Um, So the basic premise was that he takes the actors that are involved in the very first Nightmare on Elm Street movie and they are playing themselves in the real world. And in this movie, there is a movie within this movie being written. He's writing a new Nightmare on Elm Street and he cannot control what is being like like written. 
It's just kind of flowing out of him. And what he is writing is happening then in the real world to Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And it's so meta to the fact that Robert Englund, who plays Freddy Krueger, is in it as Robert Englund. And he is, in the end, credited as himself, Robert Englund, and Freddy is credited as himself, not played by Robert Englund. It's that meta. And what's interesting is <laughs> that, that just the experience of writing a meta horror film and like really it's like the first of its kind. He he kind of was looking at it and he's like, this is completely deconstructing the horror genre. And that was kind of the catalyst for then making Scream, which was not only am I going to make something meta and have this, you know, like deconstruction of the horror genre, I'm going to make it a satire of a genre that I helped create. Um, and I think that is part of the absolute genius of scream. Um, and I think it really only could have come from that mind because it's, it's wild that it, it took, you know, really like the argument can be made that psycho is the first slasher film, but really I would say the slasher genre is, uh, solidified with 1978 Halloween. Yeah. It's wild that it not until 1996, where we have this deconstruction of the genre and we're looking at it from a satirical fashion. It's, it's a wonder that it didn't happen sooner, especially with how ridiculous some of the horror films in the eighties and early nineties were. Um, yeah. Well, and you would think that it's like, okay, we're not taking ourselves seriously anymore. So let's, 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 Let's do this. Um, well, anyways, in that, interesting backstory that I don't know if a ton of people know about. That type of deconstruction. Well, okay. So first off, A New Nightmare sounds absolutely bonkers and I cannot wait to watch it. Um, but that deconstruction of the horror genre that Scream does is done so well that they like then scary movie is made off of that. You know, that they go further into even another satirical layer. spinoff by making scary movie based off of that movie. So it's it spans its own like it, it turns a new genre essentially yeah definitely and uh and i think that why this level of satire comedy meta all works is because this movie isn't inherently ridiculous or over the top it is mysterious we don't know who the killers are until they're they're revealed which i think is even- is and, and like the teases are there. There's, you know, not to shit on, I know what you did last summer, but in comparison, there's red herrings, but it's not overdone. And, well, and the people are characters that you've seen a lot. Yes. And yes, that you're it's, very it's, involved with and invested in. It's so right it's under like a our bigger, nose. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you know, the, the they, were, they were there the whole time. Yeah. yeah. What I like that, that, that they even use a red herring of one of the actual killers one, to swerve you. Actually, it's, they kind of call yeah. it out both both of them because in in mm-hmm. the in more of the beginning they call out Matthew Lillard's character a little bit, and then he's like, oh, "Of course not," and then, yeah, and then yeah, comes around later. But then obviously, very much with with uh, what's it, Billy? Is that his name? Billy. Yeah. Billy Loomis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh. Also, so is his name a tip of the hat to? Um, isn't it? Isn't it Loomis? Isn't that the guy from Halloween, from John Carpenter's Halloween? 
I've never even thought about that, but I wonder if you're right. I think it is. But yeah, no. So so Loomis is the doctor and it's spelled yeah. the same way. I bet you you're right. <laughs> Shit, I've never even thought of that. Wow. It's even more better than we realized. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I've never thought of that. Now, now you're going to make me start looking at all the other games. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I do think that the way that all of those, those genres and tropes the way they're presented is the only reason this movie works the way it does, because if they would have turned any of those up a little too much, especially the non horror elements, I think this wouldn't have been effective. I think that it, it works because it is, uh, it is presented alongside pretty fucking graphic and gory and, and at times like fairly scary horror. Uh, yeah. like this movie is, is not lacking in kills. It's not lacking in blood. And I think that's why it works so well is because horror comedy is, are they're They're very, they're not strange bedfellows. They go well together, but you have to have that nice balance. And I think that's why movies like American werewolf, works so well because for how silly and fun and fun that movie is, then it's like, Whoa, <laughs> like really gnarly. Yeah. No, I like it too. Cause there's like this seemingly supernatural element to it as well, where, you know, obviously it's always like, how'd the killer get there? How'd they get around on the other side of the building and everything. But oh, well, that's time- clearly gotta be like commentary on like Friday the 13th. Right. Exactly. How, so it's like, how did that happen? And, then, and they actually explain it in this. So it's There's like fucking oh. two guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um just and and like just from the get-go, they set such a good tone. Like that opening sequence oh, to the yeah, movie dude. is so and good. And I love that they kill because, a big star, you know? I- yeah. Yeah. Um in the first what, 10 minutes, 15 yeah. minutes, something like that. And the the scene just starts out innocently, right? Just a girl at home making popcorn, and then it just keeps ratcheting up until the point where she's brutally murdered, and her mom is hearing her last gasping breath on the phone somewhere and in the house. Finds her gutted, disemboweled. Oh, well, yeah. Nice thing too um, is that so, and again, uh, in comparison to um, I know what you did last summer, the pacing for Scream is much more on point with kind of. Uh, like mm-hmm. I agree, it helps keep the comedy from being too much because it doesn't give you enough time to linger on the fact that it's got com- you know some levity in it um, because it just moves on to that next gruesome murder or whatever you know him him them uh, teasing them and everything like that. Yeah, so the mm-hmm. opening scene. I'm glad that somebody brought that up. In my mm-hmm. opinion maybe one of the best opening sequences of a horror film because the stakes are so high. And I love that the fact that they dipped into a budget and got a huge star and kill her off right from jump immediately. Yeah. Because like (laughs) Drew Barrymore is on the movie poster of this film and has top billing. And they're just like, no, no one's safe. And uh, like, for my money, I can't think of a film prior to this that that had had stakes that high and then and then just sacrificed arguably the biggest star from jump. And mm-hmm. now it's 
I mean, she gets traumatized pretty hard. Um, so they, they got their money's worth right. out of her, I think. <laughs> and now this has been done a million times over. I think of, um, okay, well, hold on. Has everyone here seen the 2014 Godzilla movie? I have not. No, but it's okay. Okay. I won't mention it, but okay. Never mind. <laughs> I'm just, all I was going to make, make the point is that they're like the, the idea I of have, having, I have seen that. I know what you're talking about. I forgot that I'd seen it, but yes, I have. Okay. <laughs> so there's the idea of having a giant star and then killing them off as a surprise is now fairly commonplace, but like this, I think is still so effective, even though like we all know Drew Barrymore is going to get got right from the, uh, from the jump. It's still just shocking because she's such a huge star and this movie barely gets going and arguably one of the most brutal murders happens right from the get go. The other thing that I love about that, Brandon, you mentioned that it just, it, it, it used the word ratchet up, which I really like. The moment where I think, to me, it's still just like, it gives me chills. I think it's a, such a fucking great written line is um, she's talking to him and, she, and then he says, I want to know who I'm looking at. Yeah. And she goes, mm-hmm. what? And like, and then there's that kind of the music starts to swell and he's like, I want to know who I'm talking to. Yeah. That, the, that line is chilling such a good line it's so spooky uh, yeah and it, it sets up the the fact that the, these killers aren't just doing it because they like to kill they like fucking with yeah. people it's a game and yeah um which that in so itself is terrifying of, yeah and that's that's part of the intrigue as a watcher too like like, are they just going to fuck with with these people or are they going to kill them? Or Yeah, well, because you're what? used to trying yeah. to find motivation and it's hard when their motivation is just that they're psychopaths. <laughs> yep. So, okay, so we, we, we get past that initial killing, which I think really just completely sets the tone where we're like, okay, we're, we're on a ride here because this opening was absolutely bonkers. We're introduced to Sidney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, we're introduced to um, oh, Rose McGowan's character. Tatum is her is her best buddy. Uh, her boyfriend is Billy Loomis. Tatum's boyfriend is Stu, played by Matthew Lillard, which. Oh, yeah. I, Matthew Lillard <laughs> might be one of my MVPs. This is this. this is my favorite role that he's in. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't. And I without, oh, without a I don't, problem. I don't. Sorry. Uh, uh, so I, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know that he would be as well received if it weren't for being counterbalanced by Billy. Cause they're, they're like polar opposites emotionally. Billy can play almost. cool a little bit and seem more like a normal person. Stu, I think might just come off as too fucking crazy without Billy to level him out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then we have uh, David Arquette as Deputy Dewey, who is Tatum's older brother and a uh, deputy sheriff. And we have Jamie Kennedy as Randy, who, okay, I I said Matthew Lillard might be my MVP. I love Randy because I am Randy. (laughs) I feel very akin to Randy. Um, And lastly, the, the one that's 
like calling he's out the, the horror movie guy. He's the one who's like the rules. Yeah. yeah. And lastly, we have uh, Courtney Cox playing Gail Weathers. Uh, so the one thing I want to point out here is like this cast for this time period, bro. Yeah. Bang it. And like, we talked about Drew Barrymore was a huge star and I think she was a huge star because she'd been a huge star since she was a little girl, but this is friends era. Courtney Cox bonkers bonkers that they pull. I mean, the other folks were big stars at the time too, but there's like, there's a difference between Nev Campbell being on party of five and fucking Courtney Cox on Friends. That's uh, I, I think that's part of what helps this movie out is like the cast is impeccable. Yeah. Especially for the time because this these are all like 90s, you know, heartthrobs. Yeah. So and I I think that what adds to this movie is the ensemble cast, because even though like Cindy Prescott is our heroine and um, then becomes, you know, well, I don't want to say she's the last girl because they, they paint her as the last girl. But I mean, we've we've got we've got other surviving uh, members of the crew, but she, she's the heroine, I guess, is 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 the way mm. to kind of describe her. Um, but I think what adds to this movie and especially past Scream into the sequels is the dynamics between Sidney Prescott, Gail Weathers, Deputy Dewey and Randy as survivors moving forward. And then of course, then there's this kind of romantic element between David Arquette and Courtney Cox, which is so great because then that was reflected in real life, even though they're not together now. I I love that they, they got together on during this movie. That's, uh, that's kind of sweet. Oh, death brings people together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, okay. So we're, we're initially introduced to, that that uh, group of four friends, which is, uh, it's I know what you did last summer, kind of reflects off of this movie with that dynamic of, um, well, technically I guess there's five friends because Randy's supposed to be kind of the fifth wheel, um, but there is this core group of friends that's basically two couples, seemingly like I know what you did last summer, and then and I think that's kind of the gag on Randy is that he's the dorky horror movie mm-hmm. guy and. Everybody else is paired up and he's not. And he's in love with the with Sidney Prescott. Uh, so we transition right into their kind of dynamics and they're reacting to like, oh, my God, like Casey was killed last night. And we're kind of already keyed in, like Logan was saying, with the dynamics, especially with the killers. We don't know yet are the killers because mm-hmm. Stu is saying atrocious things (laughs) like not like sensitive (laughs) not being fucking chill at all but i think it works so well because we are we're keyed in that like this guy is fucking off but it's kind of under the veil of like he's a ridiculous asshole and then billy is kind of the straight man Mm -hmm. and you know coming from the lens of having seen this, then you're like, Oh, he's trying to get him to shut up because they fucking killed that girl. Um, (laughs) Rather than just like, Hey man, like fucking chill out. You need to, you need to, you know, not be an asshole because not only are you freaking the girls out, Sydney Prescott, you know, she's got a lot of trauma from what happened to her mom. So, and and it, you know, immediately that dynamic is set up and then immediately then Randy jokingly starts questioning both of those guys. Yep. 
So it, like the 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 seeds are already sown that like he just because of his horror movie knowledge is kind of already figuring things out. And it, well, it's funny because like in that scene, whenever they're in the video store, and he's like totally like, look at Billy. He, he you know he's probably the one that did it or whatever. And like Stu's like, oh no no no, surely <laughs> not no. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're like still like it's kind of playing it with each other. You know, both of them are kind of like get each other's back and be like, ah, no, it's there's no way. Yeah, and I like how that just plays even more into the oh, any one of them could have could be doing it. You know, anybody here in this town, anyone around us, it could be the people we know. You know, it kind of yeah play, plays into that trope too. That friend group, their dynamic feels so organic though. I think that's the other thing that is this makes this movie superior to I know what you did last summer because there's something and I didn't mention this when we were talking earlier, but I I I just now kind of thought about it in doing this direct comparison to that that group of friends. I know what you did last summer and it might just be some of the kind of holes in in the acting that I mentioned. Um there's something about that friend group that doesn't feel as organic as the one that's portrayed in Scream. Yeah. Where the 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 kind of the the couple dynamic of in this movie and then the fifth wheel friend, I don't know. It it feels way more natural and real to me than the charisma plays better between the group for sure. Like yeah, it, in in I know what you did last summer. It doesn't seem like anybody actually likes each other, even in the beginning. Yeah, like they just oh, they don't even actually really seem like friends. And maybe that is a fault of either the acting or the writing or 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 both. Or maybe it was intentional. I don't know. But they just yeah, they don't seem like they like each other. And I know what you did last summer. One of the characters clearly only likes one person, and that's himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brandon. I have to just say. You have been an absolute joy being on these last few episodes because every now and again you'll bust out the most savage, like commentary on something, and it, it's like you have no chill. It's like you're just so soft spoken, and then you just come out with something that is just like it's like hey, book that guy scorched <laughs> earth about a movie. <laughs> like I think of uh, Thirteen Ghosts when you're like, I'd like to give it zero stars. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I think, I think you're, you're on the right track with that. And I, I think part of what works with this group is that even though they're all a group of five friends, that there are different levels of friendship, which I think is, I think that's more real to life where you have. Billy and Stu, they're best buddies, but they even have contention. You've got Billy and Sydney that they're, you know, they're obviously in the group because they're they're going out. You've got Stu and Tatum, they're obviously in the group because they're they're going out, but then obviously like it doesn't seem like Sydney cares for Stu all that much, but it's kind of like, well, my girlfriend is is yeah. dating him, so I'll put up and, with him, which is like – And my boyfriend like a, is friends with Stu, you know, right, so it's like a yes. weird like diagonal thing. Like, well, he's over there and I'm over here, but because we're connected by these points, it's okay, you know? And then Randy's kind of like everybody's kind of friends with him, but then he has some contention with the boys. It, it, it feels very real to me. Yeah. Yeah, there is. 
It feels like I knew people like that in high school. Every one of them. Totally. Yeah, it definitely feels like there's some actual substance to the relationships, which gives the whole ending even more stakes, you know? You're like, how could you not have known these people that you've been spending this year entire time with are psychopaths? Yep. Come on. And so then once we're introduced to uh, Deputy Dewey, which I love that there's always like threads back to these main characters, Tatum's brother and, you know, seemingly very close with Sidney Prescott as well, because like we can kind of infer that Tatum and Sidney grew up together. They're best mm-hmm. buddies. Um, so he's kind of like a de facto older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we immediately kind of get his dynamic that he's kind of the lovable, like Barney Fife sort of like cop, um, and wants to be taken more seriously than he is. And I like that they made the choice that he's seemingly like, what would you guys say? Like 23, 24, like yeah. just a few years older than, mm-hmm. than them, yeah. but not so much older that like he doesn't seem immature or young himself yeah he's not like the weird creepy older brother who's hanging around the high school students yet <laughs> and, well, and then i yeah. like that they justify why he's around the high school students because he's he's doing his job he's he's protecting and serving i i think my favorite bit from dewey is whenever he's like it's deputy dewey mom said you have to call me that when i'm working <laughs> <laughs> Like he's he's gotten just his first taste of respect from people, yeah, and but there's, he's not given. There's it up. still that like, like you said, a little bit of immaturity and that sibling rivalry type of thing. Well, yeah, he's still like, living at home. There, there's yeah. they do a really good job at like kind of uh, at portraying his character because I think that's way more effective because we have the sheriff, but I think the, the main having the main cop be involved, not be the like cop trope of of. Uh, of slasher movies of past yeah is really really great because i'm gonna be honest i like i think about like the cops and like friday the 13th movies and like there are some cops that play that kind of hard-nosed thing in uh i like uh i like uh john paxton in the first nightmare on elm street but it why he works is because it's nancy's dad he's the dad and a cop um and I like the cop in Halloween, uh, but again, he's a dad of a victim. So I think there's an, a, another layer to that. But when it's just like the cop of like, we have to kill the thing that's evil. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> we, we, we've seen that so many times. So I like that Deputy Dewey is wet behind the ears and has to get his feet wet in the worst way possible. Um and I also like that along the way we are introduced to Courtney Cox, Gail Weather's character, who manipulates his poor, his poor ass. <laughs> but then they find this kind of like love story along the yeah. way. But again, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's it's this is written so tightly because there's a, a justification for every person being there. She's there because she's an investigative journalist, but she has connection to Woodsboro because she wrote uh, the book about. Sidney Prescott's mother being killed. And I I love that they sow the seeds of doubt there too, whenever they first introduce that Mm -hmm. whole element as well. Well, and then not, I don't really want to get too far into the sequels, but that aspect brought back into the sequels is chef's kiss. They, Mm. they really make that whole thing pay off. Um, I don't, has anybody here seen the sequels? 
No, I was just going to say that with how many times I've seen this movie, I have not delved into the sequels. Two is really, really good. Not quite as good as this one, but really, really good. And they, they lean more into, um, because, uh, so Liev Schreiber plays Cotton Weary, who was the person that was put away for, um, Sidney Prescott's mother, uh, her, her rape and, and killing. And, uh, so they bring him back in the second one. And I, I don't know about you all. I love Liev Schreiber. I think he's an incredible actor and he does the thing that he does. I don't know what it is, but whatever he does, he does really, really well. And he is full Liev Schreiber as that character. Um, I would strongly recommend two. Three is a little bit of a drop off, still pretty decent. Four, surprisingly, better than three. That happens a lot of times. Like right when it starts to like be like, eh, okay, these are dumb. Then somebody manages to resurrect it. Well, there was a giant gap between three and four. Four yeah. is like, uh, I can't remember what year that was. Let me look it up. Um, that was 2011. So, so uh, you know, a pretty decent amount of time after the original and I, I think that was a a good return to form. Can't wait for number five. Number five is coming out January this year. So maybe we'll have to reconvene. Maybe y'all need to watch two, I'll three, ca- four, I'll and then up. let's go see five in theaters and then uh, do, a, do a pod on that. Yes. But we're about a bonus movie night. Bonus horror movie night, you know? For sure. Yeah, let's do it. I'm not sitting outside at Matt's at night in fucking january well i mean we won't be able to it's gonna be a theatrical release so (laughs) okay good (laughs) um okay so i wanted to so we talked uh well okay so any other thoughts on on deputy dewey and gail weathers their whole thing because they kind of end up going on a bit of a i don't want to say a side quest but almost I, I wanted to say real quick they're their that, own dynamic outside um, of the kids i guess yeah there's like the, there's like the one group yeah. and there's like them doing their own separate kind of thing i like that they managed to kind of cast aspersions on almost everybody in the movie um probably the only person who's safe is sydney um but any anyone else is fair game they they do a good job with gail thing by setting that tension between her and sydney with the like oh i i don't think you're the guy who was arrested for your mom's death is actually the right guy, right? But they do a much more subtle job with Dewey in that he he's this very aloof character, right? But there's a certain scene where he kind of like drops the act a little bit and you can't tell if he's trying to impress Gail or if he's just playing dumb. Are you talking about when, like, they, when they go for the walk? Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, is is Dewey the killer? Is Gail about to get murked? Like, oh shit! <laughs> have I have I miscalculated this? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. So that scene is great. The the whole thing of like, and they're doing such simple things like you know he does the whole like gimmick of like I'm gonna shine the flashlight on my face like oh you're I don't remember what the line is or something about like oh you're not scared are you and all that kind of stuff yeah and and then yeah I think where the suggestion is is like she kind of there's almost that realization in her face of like, Oh, I'm alone with this guy. I like him. That's why I let myself get the, alone. The with him. But should I be alone? <laughs> God damn it. Logan. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's the implication. It sounds like you're hurting. You're gonna, are you going to hurt these women? No, no, no. It's just the implication. <laughs> I'm hoping somebody is, is, is tracking what we're talking about. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, and and there there are a lot of those. There's, I, I, and some of it is so so subtle. I think there's even kind of some suggestion of of people like uh, Henry Winkler as the principal. There's a quick moment where it's like, wait a second, is what's going on here with this guy? Or even there's uh, a play acting in the mirror kind of. Yeah, yeah, or even like the the sheriff. I think there's maybe like like what the, the mm-hmm. what's going on with the sheriff. Um, well, and you know, like that's they're kind of just playing into that trope of just like red herrings everywhere. But pew, 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 rapid fire, anyone's I, a suspect. I think Brandon's right though, where it it is done in such a a eloquent and subtle way, whereas it's not, it's not so too like handed. Yeah. Here it is. Here, like, like. Okay, I'm gonna shit on it. I know what you did last summer again. I, it's, it's, it's just because we're talking about both movies. But like we talked about the Anne Hache thing, the Anne Hache of it all, where she's a she is a red herring by going leaning into the backwoods creepy person trope so hard. Like, oh, I'm just chopping meat outside for no fucking reason. Oh, I'm gonna run and like slap my hands on your car window for no fucking reason. <laughs> It's heavy handed where I think Scream is it's a movie that knows when to be subtle, like those moments, like when Brandon was talking about, like, there's just this this little thing where you're like, what's fucking deputy doing? Can I just is he going to kill Courtney Cox right now? Yeah, Um, it's more of like and then and then it's over the top at times. Yeah. Yeah. But like the the rapid fire red herrings are more of like a tip of the hat kind of thing and and um they don't really it, it's not a long drawn out working out the pieces to find out oh it's not you know it's just like a hey maybe exactly maybe it's not they're not they're not really pursuing it a bunch and like it's not long and drawn out like you said yeah well the other thing that i think of with the you mentioned tipping the hat i think that that's the other great thing about this movie being meta is that there is a justification for all of these moves they're making with this with like, okay, we're doing a lot of red herrings where, I mean, I think that's the other thing. Like maybe it is heavy handed and it just works because it is, it's, it's under the veil of being a meta horror film. Um, I, I wonder it, you know, in an alternate universe where this isn't so meta, but they still have the same sort of like if Wes Craven haphazardly wrote this like, oh, I'm being super original with all this. I'm not being referential to any past work at all. And then still had like this many um, red herrings. I wonder if it would work as well. It may not have Probably worked not. quite as well, um, but I do still think the fact that like if it's still kept with how it is done where it's not um, long and drawn out for each red herring that they potentially introduce, um, then it would still be effective, but it probably still wouldn't be as good. Astute. I agree. Astute. (laughs) Um, I want to talk a bit about the killer dialogue because very a very Wes Craven thing. He, I think, was not the first to have a, a killer that has quippy dialogue, because I'm, uh, you know, um, but I think he was the first to do it best because he wrote 
Freddy Krueger, uh, and you know, then then created uh, these these Ghostface characters. The killer dialogue uh, via the phone is, uh, oh my gosh, like so many quotable lines. Do you like scary movies? What's your favorite scary movie? Don't you hang up? I'm gonna fucking gut you! Like, oh, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, I I, I want to know who I'm watching. Um, it's it's just so so well written. I want to talk a bit about the fact that pretty much every line from the villain until the end of the reveal that Stu and Billy are the killers is via the phone, and it's so effective. Let's talk yeah. a bit about that because it's it's I think very unique in that regard. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes it so effective is because it really gives you that higher level of anonymity because there's no one to tie it to, and you know especially since it's a, a modified voice too, it's like really amps up the mystery. Mm-hmm. Of like, who the hell is this? Using the voice changer is really interesting too because it gives it gives a plausibility to the fact that there are two killers because um, they can both use the voice changer to sound the same, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, but oh, sidebar, sidebar. So you're not suggesting that you, upon first watching this, young middle school Brandon, <laughs> did you, are you saying that you realized it was two killers? Oh, no, absolutely it was not. I, I was going to say, I, but I call bullshit. No, I, no, what I'm saying is I think that using the the voice uh, box thing. Uh, Doesn't put a hole in it. it. It masks the fact that there are two killers in a really yeah. elegant, elegant way. Like okay, I just, honestly, I just had to make sure. Honestly, I, that I, reveal blew my mind when I was a kid. Like, like perfect. movie That's plot twists were a new thing to me then. And this is probably like uh, skewing my my review of this movie uh, towards the positive side, but yeah, uh, that twist. Oh, you and me both, baby. <laughs> yeah, that twist. <laughs> yeah, um, the killer being on the phone also adds like so much more like tension and suspension uh, suspense around. Um, like the fact that somebody is watching you, but now, you know, somebody is watching you. Cause like, you know, the whole somebody in the, you know, sneaking around in the bushes, watching somebody through a window um, is a very common horror thing. But the fact that he's then talking to the potential victim or the victim um, and is able to like tease them and be like, Oh, you know, I can see you're, you're in your kitchen and like that kind of thing. It, it adds an extra level of ickiness. <laughs> ickiness i like that i kind of like sorry go ahead logan no you go ahead brandon you got it um i was just gonna say i like that from the get-go sydney refuses to be a victim like the killer calls her on the phone and is like hey i can see you right now she's like oh okay you know i call bullshit and what am i doing picking my nose yeah yeah Yeah. that ends up backfiring on her but (laughs) so like (laughs) Yeah, so it shows that she's not wanting to be a victim, which I like the reversal of that trope. Yep. I do think there's one thing, just to loop back to how we were talking about how some things are dated, like this movie today, like first off, you would never talk on the phone. Um, second off, which it you, makes, you it, I'm dying to, to see what they're going to I was going to yeah. say, I'm dying to see what they're going to do in Scream 5, I, because I, how do you I've get around seen, that? 
I've seen some some uh, trailer for. I think that it's it's like a lot. They do a lot of texting. texting so yeah. in, in, yeah. in the trailer, that that's kind of what they alluded to. Which, yeah. hey, if they if they take it through that that lens and make it work, I I'm all for it. Fucking Snapchats, you're, you're, bro. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, that would be that would TikToks be. of like ghost face dancing, ghost and then like he just shows up behind you and kills you. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know if I would I would like texting all that much because you're sitting there like reading a screen during a movie, right? And you put down your phone and you get murdered. Yeah. Hey, but, no, th- but like th- a that's snap, a valid like a point. Snapchat, it, that would be pretty fire, actually. The no, I, I think that's a valid point, Brennan. Like the through the you know, a 2021 lens, well, I guess it'll be 2022 by that point it might not work. And, and that's why I'm encouraging the three of you. You're on a quest now. You, uh, two, three, four, we're going to go see five together oh, yeah. and we're going to reconvene and, and see if it holds up. But uh, yeah, Logan, I think you're, I think you're totally right. And this, this film was at the perfect time. Cause the other thing we were thinking, you know, we're, we keep talking about like, there are some things about like the phone stuff that is dated, but for 1996, oh bro, yo, this was ahead of the curve. Yeah, um, I so I looked up. I I was curious to see who did the voice performance uh, of the the killer voice, and they they had a a person specifically for the phone voice, and this person's name is Roger Jackson. Bravo to Roger ja- Roger Jackson because I just want to say that really on paper. That is a a tough sell with how much this killer is. I'm gonna go say Gabby. He's he, he's a talker. He, he likes to chat. He's the chatty Kathy. Uh, and on paper, this could like really have gone wrong. To be perfectly honest, where you have a a, a killer that is doing the majority of their dialogue via the phone and we're not getting any sort of facial expressions. We're not getting any sort of inflections in the, in the voice um, outside of that, that aren't like um, manipulated by the voice changer. So the guy that did this performance did a incredible job because he knows when to turn it up. I think of like that, that whole line where he's talking to Casey in the beginning where he's like, he's kind of like, Oh, well, what do you do? Oh, you like popcorn. Okay. Oh yeah. Like he's talking really subtle like <laughs> so that. Creepy. And then out of nowhere, when he's, when he says like, if you hang up, I'm going to fucking get you. And he like really gets aggressive. I think that performance is so good and lends itself to what uh, Matthew Lillard and Skeet Ulrich are doing. Because of course, like they're not playing that part, and that's so, so very important. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like okay, this is putting way too much credit on Roger Jackson, but I was, was going to say it's kind of like James Earl Jones and Darth Vader, where you know the uh, I forget. Oh man, I I apologize. I better look it up so I'm not discrediting and uh, and and ruining the memory of this man, the guy that did the body acting for Darth Vader. Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, David Prowse. So David Prowse did all the, you like this, you know, the, the, the physical acting of course for Darth Vader. And then we all know James Earl Jones, uh, did the voice acting, but 
had it not been for James Earl Jones, Darth Vader would not be Darth Vader. Oh, no, and again, no. that's giving way too much credit to Ghostface because it's not on those on the on no, the level. I see what you're going for, though. You're you're right. The the yeah, not on where the we have level, different. Right. You know, when the Ghostface mask is done, we have different physical actors than we do dialogue actors. Um, uh, it looks like he's does all. He's in all of them, all four movies. For goodness sake, he should be. Yeah, it's funny. I'm looking through his. I'm looking through his credits right now. There's like a bunch of. He does a ton of video game voice acting, that of like characters I know too. It's kind of funny. Didn't know yeah, that those I mean, were ghost great, Now I know. Great voice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, shout out to him because I think that that lends itself so well to the the mythos of of the character because the chatty character can like really fall flat at, at times. I, I think we see that with like later nightmare on Elm street where yes. they're like, oh, yeah. they're letting Freddie be too chatty, <laughs> too chatty, <laughs> too quippy. Yeah. You're definitely yeah. right. Like the voice acting there definitely makes or breaks that um, not mm-hmm. only just the suspense of it and, and, but the entertaining part of it as well. Um, I do think, too though, I'm I, like I'm wondering if the idea when Ghostface is going from being so like oh Gabby chatty funny to so aggressive, if maybe that's them like switching the the two guys, um, Billy and two oh. switching, yeah. and like the other one's like oh quick we have we have to keep her on the phone we can't let her go, and and so the other one's like switching and taking over kind of thing. It's obviously that's completely speculation, but. Okay, so I want to, again, like this, I think is, is maybe conjecture, but I, I, I maybe have a thought on that. Uh, And again, I don't know how accurate this is. But so in, in naming, (laughs) this is so dorky. Uh, Okay, uh, shameless self plug here for Logan and I. Uh, our band is about to r- release a a uh, an EP. Our band, another anthem. Check us out on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> um, and anyways, we wrote this song. I don't want to get too far into it because you know you listeners, you'll 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 check it out. Um, but uh, about horror movies and whatnot's horror movie um, influence. I'm not even going to say what we landed on, but I was thinking, Oh, it'd be cool to like have some sort of reference to a horror movie line and whatnot was doing a ton of research. And in doing the research, we didn't end up going with something from scream just a uh, disclaimer, but I was looking up the uh, movie quotes f- uh, from scream on rotten tomatoes. And what's interesting on rotten tomatoes is they will put um, the, Instead of like on IMDb, if you look up quotes, the ghost face character. So when it's on the phone, it just says ghost face. But on on Rotten Tomatoes, it'll put and I don't know if it's people just guessing or if this is like pulled from an actual script, but it'll say Stu as ghost face or Billy as ghost face on certain on certain scenes. And in the that original one, uh, original scene, the first one, it that says it's a stew scene. Really? Which, again, I don't know how accurate this is. All right. Interesting. This is just some shit that's on Rotten Tomatoes. So it could just be somebody just going rogue and being like, I think that might be Billy. I think that might be Stu. And or Murphy might be right. And they might have tag teamed every single one. I will say, I think once it's revealed that there's two of them and just kind of how one is 
if you kind of go think back and start putting together like where was where were they in in relation to this certain kill i think there were only certain kills they were tag teaming that might very well be the truth yeah Yeah. and i think that was to swerve people where it was like because i think there's some deniability that there's more than one person at at times Mm -hmm. yeah but again i don't know I kind of like that they don't spell it out, though. It it makes you wonder, even even when the credits are rolling, right? Like, okay, where where was Billy when? Yeah, yeah, a lot of different possibilities. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving right along here, so we get into this movie. Then, like we mentioned earlier, Sydney starts getting stalked by the killer as well gets attacked by the killer seemingly not hurt though <laughs> um and again they're dude like Wes Craven is just he's just trolling us in this movie because right after Sydney's attacked Billy pops through the window yep. and then because of that gets arrested like it, it's so heavy handed but then because of that we're like, oh, well, clearly it's not Billy. Oh, like, no you know, he was, they checked his phone. He was absolved of all charges. <laughs> like, it's not him. Well, plus, plus the fact that the call came through while he was still in the hospital, or in the hospital, uh, jail, rather, yeah. while he was and still in the police station. It was Sydney's father's phone. Yeah. Um, and then there's an explanation for that. Uh, so so then, yeah, thus begins this this whole thing. And more and more people are, are getting killed. Uh, Henry Winkler, R.I.P. the Fonz, he's killed very brutally. Uh, <laughs> and uh, some other people. But then it leads to this like absolute massacre, which is basically the my third favorite. Act of, my favorite kill coming up here. The, the third act of the film is a goddamn massacre, massacre. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. as it should be, as it should be. And I think that that's why we were talking about like this film is paced really well, because there's there's it starts off hot. It slows down just for mystery and kind Barely. of like and, yeah. and to build story. Then there's like there's kills, little kills here and there. There's little moments of like near kills. And then it ends just balls to the wall um so are there any other thoughts in the middle before we get into the the final like party third act i I love the uh the school's out for the summer scene (laughs) yes (laughs) i was i was feeling that when i was a teenager yeah yeah. (laughs) so quick little thing you just made me think of uh i love the score in this but i also love uh how they utilize red right hand by um nick cave and the bad seeds and now what's interesting is like i think in 2021 that's seemingly more uh related to like uh peaky blinders it's such a i don't know if any of you've seen that but it's it's like such a huge aspect of that show but to me, I hear that song and I'm like, scream. <laughs> it's, it's in every scream movie and it it fits so well. I don't know why, but it um and I don't think that's even like the first horror film that 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 song has been in. Um, but I don't know. Scream 
Screaming Peaky Blinders are our peak uh, red right hand for me. Yeah. Anyways, that's all I wanted to say about that. So let's go uh, right into that third act. So the setup is that even though Sydney's really freaked out, she's been attacked. She, you know, her, nobody's heard from her father. The the cops haven't told her yet, but there's suspicion that the, you know, we know now that the the calls have came from the father's number. So that the cops are like, well, it's got to be the it's got to be the dad. Um, and Stu, that tricky son of a bitch, he suggests, hey, we're, we're, we're having an early curfew. Uh, school's let out early. Fuck the curfew. Let's have a party at my house. Of course, this this sneaky little bastard, he's setting up a massacre. Yeah, We don't know this yet. And I, I really, really <laughs> like that all this whole thing takes place at a party at the end. Um, because, like, the whole throwing party when there's a mass, like, mass murders happening is a very, like, typical horror movie thing. But at the same time, you always think, well, like, you've got to be safer in a big group of people, right? Like, well, not when those two of the people, the people throwing the party. Not when the, the party is at the murderer's house. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take it one step further. It is a typical nineties teen movie thing. Which oh, I yeah. Think yeah. Is, but it doesn't feel like, Oh, we have to do this because like every nineties teen movie has this to me. It felt like Wes Craven's like, well, clearly this has to end at a party because I'm a meta man. <laughs> and and, and I, I agree with you, Amanda. I think that it is like the perfect setup for with how once we learn kind of the motivation of Billy and Stu and that there are two killers, it's like, of course, they would get their entire group of friends in one place because it just makes this whole this whole goal that they're trying to achieve far easier. So we have the party. Good. I was going to say one of the other things that um, makes me suspect Dewey briefly is that he drops them off at the party, knowing full well that there's a killer on the loose, but it's just like, go, go have fun. (laughs) Well, they also is like, it's clearly like hardcore underage drinking. And I love that. Like kind of joke where he's like, do you have your ID? Or like, or whatever, whatever he says to yeah, some he, random dude, and he's like, "I'm kidding." Yeah, like, he like walks in and is like, "Sure, I need to see some ID. You under twenty one? But again, I think that like whether where that could be a plot hole, it's quickly like explained away because he's trying to be cool in front of the kids to be cool in front of Gail. Yep. Where if she's not there, it's like. Okay, well, that's a fucking giant hole because the whole entire time he's tried to be like, oh, serious well, cop. take me serious. I'm a cop. Yeah. He's trying to be chill. And, and so if Gail's not there, it doesn't work. Agreed. That's yeah. a good point. Good job. Good job, Wes Craven. <laughs> uh, so we have this setup where like all, all the main players there, we have, we have our extras or whatever. And just basically kind of right off the bat, we have the setup for all, all of these kills. Uh, Tatum, the, Tatum's my favorite. Oh man. That, yeah. Th- well, we're, we're getting the best kill. Hold on. Hold, hold your horses there, partner. Um, <laughs> but we have, we have uh, Kenny, the cameraman for, for Gail and, and they basically uh, yes. set up this ploy to kind of like, Gail being the 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 shrewd investigative journalist that she is, she's like, well, we have to, you know, she's basically working Dewey to get in there and then basically put a hidden camera 
because she feels like this something's going to pop off in this. Um, but we have Kenny left alone most of the night. We have that set up. We have all the friends there and we have Gail Weathers and Dewey uh, and Deputy Dewey. Well, he, there's also the foreshadowing with the camera that's set up that there's the 30 second delay on it too. Oh, crucial. You're you're so correct, and the, and Crucial. that's that is executed to perfection. Yes. Well, it's great. Uh, they're like watching the movie happen as we watch it happen. Exactly. It's perfect. Exactly. It's so meta. <laughs> okay, Logan. I'm just gonna I'm a I'm gonna pass it right off to you because, and I can't remember if Tatum is the first death. I think, I think it is. is. I, I think it's before Kenny. Yeah, like she goes out to the garage to get another beer for. Her and for Stu, I think. I think she just no. It's the whole crew, dude. Because that's part of it. She's got a fucking right. arm yeah, full of bitches like, and that kind of. And Ghostface is like in the fucking way, and she's like, "Ha ha ha, really funny." She thinks it's Randy. And she's like Randy, and then like goes through a few different people. It's like shakes. Like that part's like so creepy and like well done, but just like the whole like the way she goes in the garage door is so fucking hardcore. Wait, like, before that, before that. So what I love is they, they lean into that meta, like satirical thing where she goes, Oh, oh okay. We're doing a horror movie. All right. Let me yeah. play the, 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 the bim, the bimbo that gets killed or whatever she says. She's like, Oh, Mr. Ghostface, please don't kill me. And does that whole thing. Yeah. And then is trying to like, she thinks it's all a game but then is making fun of what happens in these horror movies, which yeah. is so good. Without it's... realizing that she's like, no, you are. The, <laughs> you you are happening. going to be the victim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, I just love the, the, the actual execution in the garage door is like just so gnarly. And the fact that like, she's the first one to go, but like doesn't get discovered till like way later. Yeah. And it just goes, it, it, it adds to the stakes too, because I mean, at the time, Rose McGowan's a really big star. She's in yeah. a lot, in a lot of, you know, big movies and whatnot. I mean, so, she's no Drew Barrymore, but still, you know. Right. And I, and I think that, you know, this movie was outside of the Courtney Cox's and the Drew Barrymore's, you know, it was like they were casting up and comers, but it was it was not well, like oh, who the fuck is this person? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it was it was some some uh, heavy hitters for for the time. So yeah, gnarly kill. To be honest, I can't think of a kill quite like that in another movie. I kind of like I'm how sure. Ghostface too is like you can tell he's slightly disappointed by it by the way that she dies, but he's just like, eh, I guess I'll count it. <laughs> I mean, some of the final destination movies have some gnarly kills that would probably be about on par with that whole, like, that's just the Similar kind of vibe I get. Setups, kill, yeah. Very final destination, even though obviously it came before, but yeah, kind of killed by your environment and less by like somebody stabbing you type of thing. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, okay. So I, this just got me thinking, uh, so that whole lead up to her kill, like their kind of fight scene, I, I briefly want to just take an, an aside and talk about one thing that I love in this is that, and it goes to show that these characters are these killers, excuse me, the killer, uh, the characters of the killers are very much grounded in reality. They're just normal dudes is, I mean, they uh, like arguably get the shit kicked out of them oh, yeah, at, at times. 
And that scene specifically, she blasts him in the face and the balls with fucking yes. beer bottles. <laughs> and, and I love that he's like, <laughs> he's like visibly showing pain, which I think is so refreshing compared um, as much as I, I love the the just impervious to any sort of damage or pain tropes of a Michael Myers or a, of a Jason Voorhees. Um, and it's really ex- explained away with like a Freddy Krueger because he's a completely supernatural being. I liked that this felt so organic and real because they were impervious to to pain, and it was that's I, to me that makes it more scary because like oh my god this could be anybody this could happen to me uh, you know it, yeah and so I think that just little touch where Wes Craven decided let's not make it you know, too supernatural. Let's ground this really in reality and let these guys like feel pain, get the shit kicked out of them at times, but still get it in the end. Right. And so those little moments of, you know, of like city Prescott fighting back or, or, or Tatum, you know, whipping beer bottles at him in this scene. I, I really enjoy. He knows. Ghostface has nards. He knows full well what he's doing there too, because he, um, like he's adding that ability for us to laugh in that situation when otherwise, like Logan was saying, it's a pretty creepy scene overall, like in the way he's acting and stuff. And so um, just the ability to laugh at the fact that she's just chucking beer bottles at his, at his dick is like, yeah, okay. There's, there's our levity. And react to it too, because every time I watch that and then when we watched it together, I, I, I totally remember hearing like an audible, like, Oh, she's just like, chucking beer bottles and they're they're breaking on him and and like you have that reaction of like oh shit like get it girl she still gets got but uh speculation who do we think that was billy or Stu? probably billy i think it's Stu. i think he killed his girlfriend Oh, that's a good question. We don't know where Billy's at for most of the party, right? He's missing. Because he shows up late. Well, and Stu yeah. did ask her to go get a beer. So maybe he knew that there were none mm-hmm. in the he fridge and that she was going to end up in the garage. And, and then he followed her behind. Yeah. And but the it, but they're working her. together. Like that that could have been the plan all along. Where like True. Billy's like, I'm going to show up, up late. You hide in the garage. I'm sending Tatum out there. He wouldn't let somebody else kill his girlfriend, though. I feel like there's a personal element to that murder, though. I mean, like, maybe I don't know. We, I think we find <laughs> out really early on that the reason um, Drew Barrymore's character gets killed is because she left Stu for this that other guy that that got killed as well, right? So yeah, it could be yes, Brandon. Could be some vengeance. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I think Stu, I vote Stu. That's how I'm voting. I, I still think but, Billy, but. Well, but I don't know though, because, okay. So then there's that whole, like that's, I, I think it might, I I'm voting Billy because there's that scene after that where Randy does the rules, which is a very important scene where he says, Stu the is there. You're right. Stu is there. And then he doesn't it is leave Stu's house. He probably would have been missed at the party too, if he wasn't there. So it's he does Billy. not leave that, that moment of like those guys watching Halloween together. And then like kind of talking about horror movies until he goes, Oh, hey, I'm going to go, t- I'm going to go have a beer. And then, and then you want anything? And then Randy's like, Oh yeah, I'll have like a Bud Light or whatever. And he's like, I'll be right back. And does yeah. that whole gimmick. And then he leaves. And that's when I think he dons the ghost face. That's okay. just yeah. my opinion. But right. it is uh, Logan. I-, I think you have an interesting analysis. Uh, I've that, watched that too is- many criminal minds. 
<laughs> no, you went full mind hunter there. You were like, but, well, it's his girlfriend. He There's had a to personal kill. connection to the kill. <laughs> but isn't it more sociopathic that he would like just be like, I don't give a fuck about her. Well, Billy and, can kill her. That's I mean, true, I guess. So it, so I will concede that Stu, I, I will say that Stu may not have killed Tatum if we can accept that Stu was probably the one that killed Drew Barrymore's character. I, I think Brandon's 100% right that, that Stu uh, 1,000% yeah. killed Drew Barrymore's character, which makes, makes you think that Tatum is merely just a rebound. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, and it is very much a game to them. So it's very likely that neither of them get killing people. They're having a good time. The other thing I'll, well, I'll say is, is Stu is very reactive, and I can't picture him being that calm while being pelted with beer bottles. But Billy, I could totally see just being like, all right, this fucking bitch, I'll, I'm going to fucking kill her. All right, you know what? Fucking garage door on your yeah. ass. I... I think I think you might have something there, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, because and that's kind of the fun thing of watching this over and over again is like is being able to kind of analyze this and like who do you think it was? Who do you think it was on the phone that time? I didn't even think about this whole aspect of this movie that we could like that. There's still some mystery there, even though I've had the twist ruined for me. That there's still we honestly the four of us might just need to start a screen podcast. Wes, <laughs> Wes, you son of a bitch! I know he gets me every time. <laughs> so it's a, if we start a screen podcast there's going to be somebody that has like a murder board with red string on it <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh. oh well and then uh, this, this is why i want you uh, you three so badly to watch the other ones because that's the fun thing about these movies that is so different than other slashers is that i mean spoiler alert both the killers are killed in this and I'm just going to go and tell you they're, they're killed, killed because yeah. you're, 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 you're not going to know who, who the killers are in the other movies. But I think that's the fun thing is that it's not like, and, and this is coming from a huge Halloween fan, huge Friday the 13th fan. I think it's, it's fun to rely on the fact that it it's Jason Voorhees. It's Michael Myers. It's Freddy Krueger, whatever it may be. But I think that what, what is fun about scream as like kind of, in that upper echelon of of slasher films is that who is the killer? The, the who yeah. done it of it all is really, really fun. And it's I, I mean, really West Craven. It's an kind extra of, layer of engagement there. Yeah, and he and he he sets that up as a trope that's just within Scream films moving forward, which is like again, the meta of all that, like, oh, I am <laughs> I am, you know, like deconstructing this whole entire genre. I am satirizing this, you know, these films that I've made. We're talking about these other films, but then I am doing this thing that is not a trope in or it's but it will be in future movies. The of layers, this. the yeah. layers. That's why honestly, oh my god, I think this film is absolutely fucking genius and is like just in the in the grand scheme of filmmaking is Oh, yeah. It's up there. It has it's to be. a good one. Agreed. Okay. So um, enough of me just like nut hugging Wes Craven. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we have the, the garage door kill. And then um, I, I kind of mentioned the whole, the, the rules, but can we talk about that, that scene? Because again, I oh, think that's, that's where that's it's easily my, that. And then the scene following that are like, 
I think the best, especially capitalizing on the whole meta aspect of it. That's what I was saying. The meta all comes together with Randy's monologue. It's, yeah. It's absolute perfection. And I think all made all the better by the fact that they are watching Halloween, which is arguably like, you know, it is the pinnacle of slasher. First, it like really got it kicked off. And then talking about the rules and then we're so watching Halloween, talking about the rules, being watched on a camera by the people out in the fucking van (laughs) while we're watching the people watching the fucking it's like weird fucking four layers deep. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Deeper. It's it, it and it it's not it's not clunky at all, which is I think what yeah. is is really impressive about it all and shout out honestly i don't really think that jamie kennedy is that good of an actor but in my opinion in in his role as randy in this in in scream he is exactly perfection. what he needs to be yeah yeah and and that whole you know kind of nerdy nerdy movie guy that you know loves horror films is is in love with the the, the female lead you know it secretly uh, well it also makes sense that nobody listens to him too because you know he's got they're kind of like oh you fucking weirdo or whatever but when really he's like peddling the most advice because they're in the fucking horror movie that he's talking about so yeah and i i think what is also really fun about his character is we have that trope of the the most aware character that's like and it's it's usually funny, you know. It's it's usually funny, and it's like, oh well, hey, I'm not gonna go down that dark that dark hallway. It's 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 a dark hallway. Yeah. But I love that he always returns back to, you know, no, you don't want to do that because in horror movies it says this, and 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 that I think is the is the meta quality of of that that character trope, and then it makes honestly a, its own unique character trope because he's a trope within a trope he, it's like logan said yeah, it's so layered it's crazy. without realizing it well well he doesn't die though he doesn't die he survives he oh survives. really okay but he 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 narrates no his own attack he's yeah. one of those that like he it, it's revealed that he he survived by the end but he's he seemingly dies yeah. there <laughs> I forgot <laughs> yeah. what we were talking about. It. I forgot to mention while we were talking about that intro. I just love the bit where Drew Barrymore is saying, she's like, oh, it's always stupid how the girls will run up the stairs when they, or is it Drew or is Sydney. it the uh, main Sydney character? Sydney says that. It's Sydney. Yeah, she's like, stupid how they'll run up the stairs whenever they should be going for the front door. And then she and then like chain off of the front door, so she goes and runs up the stairs. Yeah, yeah, she's or yeah, she's trying to run out, the, and then she can't, has to run up the stairs, and it's just like you just fucking you did the thing, you did the thing. Anyway, sorry, I know that there's a million different shit like that in this movie, but that, <laughs> just you know, it's that. you know, it's great about that though is that so she says that whole thing, and she, and she does the thing that she says you know you shouldn't do, but she also mentions. She says some line about it's always a big, a big breasted girl and, and, and says that. And what I like about the casting of Nev Campbell and then also kind of how she ends up being in the end. It, and and I uh, somebody mentioned this earlier where she is 
her attitude is completely different. Like she's not completely helpless. She is a very active character rather than a passive character. So I, I love that they, they have her kind of do some of the trope things, but then the very nature of her character is very anti final girl. Yeah. Because she does fight back. uh, And she, you know, she isn't that like prototypical, like, double D breasted, you know, like, uh, completely Hollywooded out looking woman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he had played up every stereotype, it wouldn't have been as good as it is. It would have been just cheesy at that point. So, right. Okay. So we talk about Randy's monologue, just absolutely great. And then, you know, everything's a payoff to every, every one of his rules, you know, I I love that it is, uh, his monologue is happening while Sydney is losing her virginity to Billy, because that's a big thing that is played up in this movie where because of her past traumas, uh, she isn't ready to be sexually active with Billy. And I also really, I think it's very forward thinking, um, that, he talks to her and clearly wants to have sex with her, but never like pressures her or, 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 uh, ignores a consent, which to me is, is so smart because in the end, I think that would have maybe been the giveaway that he is yeah. the killer. If, if he forced himself upon her or, or crossed or pressured some... her or anything like that, even. Yeah. Right. Because in the end, like it, it's, he, you know, we have that thing of like, okay, he's, he's a horny teenager, but he, in the end always respects her, even though there's a few conversations they have that are, are questionable. He has that whole conversation with her. Like you got to get over your mom's death and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He never, until she actually agrees and consents to having sex with him, and it's her idea, like, she brings it to the table, and he's kind of like, oh, really? Like, surprised by it. And I think that is really, really smart um, in terms of the writing. And then when when they actually then sleep together, Randy's talking about these rules and, you know, they're talking about like, OK, you don't you don't ever do, you know, you don't ever drink. You don't ever do alcohol. You don't ever do drugs. And then everybody's getting fucked up and they're like, Woo! Yeah. yeah. so then so then that's acknowledged. And then, you know, and then he's talking about how um, don't ever say be right back. Like you, you said and, oh, they do that whole thing. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you don't ever have sex. Right. And then they 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 cut to Sydney losing her virginity. So then it's like, okay, now she's not safe because she's not a virgin, which is so, so smart. But then again, it's still like winking at that whole trope. Uh, so we have that happen. And then pretty much from there, it is gangbusters because it's death after death after death or at least attack after attack. Um, Kenny is the cameraman. The, the very next alleged death is Billy. Oh well, right? okay, yes. I, I was I wasn't considering that, but yeah, you're you're right. So the the they do they do a good job of casting his versions off of him with that scene. So to me, I think that justifies the whole the the thought that I had that Tatum was killed by Billy, and then Stu doesn't don the ghost face outfit until he does the "I'll be right back." Because then Billy is mm-hmm. sleeping with Sydney, 
Stu puts on the the costume and he's doing all the kills until Billy, you know, does the whole fake out uh, and and leads Sydney to believe that yeah. you know, oh, I'm I'm wounded but not de- but not dead. So yeah, I think we've got a little bit of a timeline at least for the 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 third act here with who who is who. Um. So yeah, we have uh, Kenny the cameraman. He's killed and throat throat slashed, put on the top of the van. I love that whole thing. Oh yeah. Gail mm-hmm. driving off. So she's uh, like, "I'm sorry, Kenny, but get the fuck off the car." <laughs> dude, the whole wi- the windshield wiper thing before then, where she's like, she's kind of looking like, "Why is my windshield so like grimy?" And then they're like, "Hearing blood." I'm gonna turn on my bl- my wiper blades. It's so much blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I love that whole thing. Uh, we go into just rapid fire randy's attack like what brandy was uh talking about he's seemingly dead deputy dewey's attack Dewey he's gets attacked dead. yeah oh his attack is is rough because to me he seems way more dead than even randy that whole like stab right in the back mm, yeah. is one of my favorite i think his is my favorite death because he later he because he later comes stumbling out of the front door onto the porch right He's got the knife yeah, in his back. He's got the knife sticking out of his back. Yeah. He's my yeah. that's my favorite. Yeah. And then even uh, during all this chaos, before Randy's attacked, there is so much chaos and confusion because remember, Stu and Randy run up to the front door and they're both saying, they're both No, like, no, oh, he's the killer. He's no, no, the killer. he's the killer. He's the killer. Let me in, lock him out. And she's and, like, fuck you both. No. And locks herself in with Billy, which is oh, and that's right. when that reveal comes. It, it's so well done because if if Randy would have been attacked or killed before then we wouldn't have had had that moment of like then still doubting like well wait fuck is Randy the killer and like and the best part is is like even if you assume there were two killers they could both be the two that are outside and the third one that's inside it could still be the good Mm -hmm. guy you know so absolutely absolutely um, and so then that then that leads into this big reveal of Stu and Billy's master plan. They also reveal that they uh, raped and killed Sydney's mother, and Billy had a personal reason for it. Which I love that Stu is like the dipshit that just like oh, we just wanted to be fucking famous, bro. Like we we're copying the movies, and then Billy <laughs> is like the true calculated psychopath of them. Yeah, because he killed Sydney's mm-hmm. mother because she broke up his his parents' marriage because of sleeping with uh, Billy's father. Yeah, and. And then spun into this whole, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this whole thing. But really, it, it his motivation is to make Sydney suffer. Yeah. Um, and then Stu is just a means to an end to kind of help him out. Uh, so then, yeah, they, they reveal their, their big master plan. They also reveal that, surprise, daddy's been alive the whole entire time. We've got him locked up. We're going to pin it on him. Uh, can we quickly talk about their reveal scene and when they decide to like, we have to make this look real and we have to stab each other. That part is like, oh, the one yeah, thing for me. I'm insane. just like, 
this is so poorly thought out. Why are you doing this while they're right there? Yeah. That's where it really for yeah, but then you realize having, they're high schoolers. I know, but they've, they've had it right. fucking so wound up until now, and then this is just like, why now? Yeah. So do you do you feel like that's a do you feel like that's a hole hole in it where like they should have killed everybody and then stabbed each other? I think they should have done that, but. I think that people make mistakes all the time, especially whenever all the chips are down and, and you know, you're closest to the finish line. I think it's when you get a lot of like, you know, you, you forget about things or you, you overlook certain things or you, you know, think like, so it's oh, not you enough know, of a hole to take you out of it. No, totally not. Okay. And, and realistically, I don't like movies that are too terribly bleak or anything like that. So this is kind of nice to see the bad guys trip up too. So um, plus, I mean, for Billy's character, it might be a little bit more out of character because he's definitely more pragmatic and more plotting. But Stu's a fucking dingus. So yeah, like, there's only one brain really between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that scene kind of felt to me like there was a bit of tension between them because of all the stuff that had been yes. going on, and they were letting that tension slip yeah. a little bit, right? Like, oh, you're gonna stab stab me a little bit too deep. And I'm gonna stab like, you a little bit too cool, deep, bro. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. scene feels very yeah. cringy, but not not because it's bad. Like, it's not poorly done, but it it does feel like a weird sidestep for them. Um, but I I do feel I agree, Logan, that it is a very like. I could see that being a stew concoction. Like he was, he's like, oh, okay. So you've made all these plans, Billy. I want to make part of the plan. Part of the plan is going to be that we stab each other. So we make it look like neither of us were the killer. Well, and, and another thing too, is like, even if it was an intelligent plan and, or even if it was a plan that Billy came up with, everything changes when they start being the one that, that are getting injured. You know, whenever he stabs Stu, then Stu's like, oh, wait, this isn't, this isn't fucking cool. Like, I don't like that at all, you know? So it's kind of like a different, like... That's a, little a really bit of a, good point. A little bit of a role reversal for him, you know? Uh, well, I do, it, oh, he ahead. has that whole thing of, like, as soon as they do the stabbing stuff, and in the confusion of, you know, them, like, uh, doing that, when Sydney disappears, and then, you know, the whole, like... Did you we really got call a the major call? problem, man. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, when you know he gets on the phone and he's like, "My mom's gonna be so mad." Yeah. Did you really call the cops? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, my mom's gonna be so mad. <laughs> Which is over the top, but I think like it. In does, a way, I feel it, like it's also kind of a realistic response because, like. Yeah. Yeah, like like what was mentioned earlier. They're dipshit kids. Yeah, well, I don't think Stu really intended Mm -hmm. to get so deep into this. You know, like obviously Billy had his own intentions initially um, going into this thing and and like – or didn't consider the consequences. Exactly. Think about yeah, so I can yeah. imagine him being like getting to that point and being like, oh, fuck, what did I do? How do I get out of this? Yeah. One of the things that I kind of noticed um, – thinking back on it was that Stu kind of becomes more unhinged as the movie goes on. Billy's just cold and calculating the whole time, but I I think you're right because I think that Stu gets caught up in the, the mystique of it all of, of their plan where like, Oh, we're, we're making our own movie and you know, we're the, the movie within the movie sort of thing, like in his head. Yeah. Um, it's I, I think that's kind of what's going on 
with him and that's why he gets so caught up in it. But then that's why there's that like stark realization of like, Oh no, I messed up so bad. (laughs) (laughs) So then we have really, I think where, uh, Sydney becomes this really great active character where she then takes back control and is going to fight back. And we have, you know, this fight scene where she dons the ghost face outfit and starts fucking with these guys, calling them up, you know, using the, the voice changer thing, uh, and basically kind of leads to our crescendo. First, Stu is killed via a kind of a, uh, he charges her. She like kind of judo tosses him over her head, you know, falls back and then flips him over overhead and then dumps a television screen on his face which i great kill that's right great kill fun stuff and uh that kill after a very like lost boys feel to it (laughs) oh you're right i didn't even think about that yeah the death by stereo yeah right yeah 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 good connection murphy um And uh, then, you know, there's a longer drawn out fight scene with with Billy, which obviously I think is makes perfect sense because of the connection between her and Billy and that he is definitely like the the he's the brains of the bunch. Yeah. Um, And then we have the kind of the 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 tropey thing of, you know, uh, one more. There's going to be one more scare. Yeah. It's revealed that Randy's okay, Gail's okay, And that, you know, Randy then says, like. Well, this is the point where the killer would come back for one more scare. He pops back up and they shoot him in the head and, and you know, the whole not my movie line, which is so good. Yeah. Um, you know, looping back into the, the meta of it all. And then it just ends with Gail doing what Gail does. Gail doing Gail things and just dives right in covered in blood. Gets a new cameraman. Let's go live. <laughs> and uh R. You know, Kenny. the the movie ends and uh it's it's revealed that uh deputy dewey has has lived but he's been injured and that's that's kind of that's kind of where we cut so thinking about the time that you you first watched this when the killer reveal happened and it was revealed that not only was Billy the killer, but Stu was the killer. So we have two killers. How, how effective was that for you? Oh, I mean, like, I feel like we've talked about it a a lot, but I mean, like, yeah, it's like a super, super big, big bombshell and a a unique way to do it. And also it made everything make sense. Like I was mentioning earlier, there was almost that like, is this one of those like supernatural esque type of slasher movies? And then it's like, ah, no okay it's because there's two of them and so it's you know a lot more realistic in that way yeah they hide the fact there are two killers so well that when they reveal that it's almost like the fact that it was Billy or and or uh, Sid that's almost secondary to the fact that like oh it was two killers right Okay, that was kind of the more mind blowing part to me. I one hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely a completely out of left field, but in a good way, not in a can't imagine that actually happening that way. Way, <laughs> um, like it, it definitely 
takes you by surprise, but you go, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, in my opinion, I think the two killer thing is so unique. uh, And especially for the time and the genre and ups the scary factor of it, because not only do you have to uh, contend with one killer, you're contending with two killers that just ups the stakes. It's it's a really interesting, you know, um, it, it flips the whole idea of a slasher killer on, on its head. And I agree with, with Brandon where the, the shock was more that like, Oh, it's, you know, that's not who it is. It's how many there are. Yeah. So I think that's, um, really, really fun and, and very, very interesting. And still like, I mean, even though I've seen this movie so many times, the that whole like reveal and these guys you know kind of revealing their plan it's still i love it 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 is it's so effective i think honestly just us talking about it makes me want to instantly rewatch it so rachel (laughs) rachel was saying she because she missed that night she's like right oh i really want to rewatch i was like i mean yeah i'm not gonna complain let's go (laughs) yeah that that final scene too billy's composure plays off so well against sid's just yeah. manic, absolute crazy. You mean like, Stu, right? They just play off each other you're, so well. You're throwing me because you're saying Stu, Sid, yeah, and I, they refer to Sydney as Sid. So I was like, "Wait, who are you talking about?" Okay. Yeah, sorry, I'm I'm awful with names. Uh, you'll <laughs> learn this about me, but uh, yeah, I, I do mean Stu. I. But they, they just play I agree, so uh, well. and that's I think why I really like Matthew Lillard, Lillard in this because they they perfectly cast him to the role that was written for him because i think that his his whole like weirdo over the top thing doesn't always work in movies but this was like hey matthew lillard we have a role for you you can just yeah. be as wild as you want to be stick your tongue out we don't care <laughs> that guy sticks his tongue out so many times in this in this movie oh that's yeah his, that's his go-to move okay so uh, so we've pretty much covered the, uh, the entire, entire film here. Uh, so just kind of wrapping this up, let's talk about, let's talk about ratings here. What, uh, what do you think this deserves for, for a rating? I'll go last. Cause I'm looking at the breakdown by demographic right now. So. um to be honest i i'm gonna go with a nine because i can't give 10 stars it feels weird so i'm gonna go nine's pretty damn good because it i like it yeah it's well like i i can't find flaws with this film (laughs) like yeah what do you think brandon uh i'm gonna go with an eight uh I think there is some there are some issues that I have with like the um, the motives, especially. Um, but overall, it's just an amazing movie through and through. Like the pacing's great, the surprises are are great. Um, yeah, it's the characters are are really well written and kind of true to themselves. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, totally. Yeah. 
And so, uh, yeah, overall, I eight, I think. I go with an eight. There's like no real holes in it at all. Um, and like I was saying, I, I love a good, uh, good comedy, horror comedy. Uh, and so this does a good job of, of really capitalizing on that meta and that, uh, you know, kind of looking at itself, not taking itself too seriously and poking fun at itself and everything. So um, I, I wouldn't go with it. I'm, you know, had I watched it more whenever I was there, it might've crept up into the nine area for me too. Um, but like I said, with this one, I don't particularly think that um, I think it's aged pretty well. I don't think it's really super dated and I don't think that too much of it has been uh, diminished for me having seen it for the first time later in my life than whenever it first came out. Well, and that is another reason why it feeds into the nine aspect of me is that I could rewatch and rewatch and rewatch this movie and still love it every time. So you still have that nostalgia factor that that plays uh, a role for you as well. Yeah, I do have a little bit of that as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go eight as well. I think that not only is this. If I well, I'll say this, if I was looking at it through the lens that Amanda is kind of writing these movies where it's genre specific. I think it's I think it's a nine. Um, if I'm just kind of just rating it as a film, I think it's an eight. But I think that is indicative of how good of a movie this is. Yeah. Um, and for the genre, I I would put this right towards the tippy top uh, of I think it has to be in the conversation of like the greatest horror films of all time. Um, in my mind, it is it is the on the Mount Rushmore of slashers. It's it's scream nightmare Halloween Friday. Totally agree for me. Um, and you know, if we're kind of going sub genre, but I, I totally agree with every point that you all made it. It has it all. It's, it's got comedy. It's got the meta element, which is, I don't know if we would be giving this as much praise if it didn't have that meta element, because I think that's what makes it so groundbreaking and, and genre redefining. Um, yeah. And well, and to your point that you made earlier, it's done by somebody who helped create the original genre. So it doesn't feel like somebody being shitty and poking holes in somebody else's ship. It's like, if anyone, you know, there's more of a right to do it because he's kind of played a, a pivotal role in developing all the tropes that he's making fun of. So, right. And this is kind of like deconstructing slasher specific, but deconstructing kind of horror as, as a, as a trope and genre. And it's almost slasher wise. It's, it's kind of like post slasher. Um, because this was kind of the end of one era and then the beginning of another because then you know like like was mentioned earlier with like the scary movies and whatnot um then we you know we were like satirizing a film that's a you know satirizing a whole genre of other films (laughs) yeah it's it's really interesting this movie definitely was the movie that everything else was copying that came after right like honestly for at least another five six years i i would say yeah um if not longer and i mean like we were saying there's another screen movie coming out in january so it, it's it's still a, a huge property there's you know there's a lot um it's been spun out of it so 
All right, so let's let's uh, go around and uh, except for Logan because he's looking right at it. Let's let's give guesses as to what we think this has uh, got on IMDb. First off, Brian forgot his Z score. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry, and I forgot his Z score. <laughs> I I I, sh- I should have asked. Uh, Z score of zero. This movie kills. Oh, too know. good to sleep. Oh yeah, my gosh. Good this, is, this is our best Z score. Too uh, good to sleep. <laughs> I, I love that the, the, the Z score is, 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 is a completely opposite. Of, you want a low yeah. score. It's like golf. Yeah. <laughs> like, golf like golf. I also like that the this night's uh, round of movies have the extreme ends of Z scores for him so far. So Right. Yeah. Which I am end. a little concerned about that because uh, I... I I know what you did last summer was n- not anywhere near the worst film we've watched. <laughs> it has to be 13 ghosts. You gave I 13 ghosts zero just, stars on. He was so, just so worn out from how good scream was that he just could not make it through. I know what you did. Fair. Okay. Okay. I, and I will say this, no matter how much better the first movie is, it's always at an advantage compared to the second movie when it comes to the Z score. I Why mean, do you true. think we always watch my choice first? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to claim that this is any scientifically rigorous scale. It's just, it is what it is. <laughs> no, I, I, I want it to be a, a, a thing. I, I, again, I want you to start a, a Z score, uh, blog. I, I, I want this. There, You're going to be like the, that... the Ebert of like a weirdly specific <laughs> type of movie review. <laughs> There may be some some big disappointments for you in there. For example, uh, the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> we Did you see we, the whole thing. We went to see a, a feature that was all three of the Dark Knight movies. I mean, we were in the theater for like over it's a long time for like twelve hours, bro. Like yeah. it's understandable that you would fall asleep. But I did fall asleep in the theater to Dark Knight Rises for a good portion of like the action sequences. You know it's funny. It was it was a, diff, a different, uh, definitely not all three at one time. I actually fell asleep the first time I saw that movie too. Oh, really? I blame more. I was working graveyard shift at the time, at, because mm-hmm. I also right around the same era I fell asleep. Uh, Logan and and Murphy might remember this. I fell asleep going to the first Avengers fucking twice, dude. I saw that in theaters <laughs> twice. Fell asleep both times, and that's a great movie. But I was just like yeah. all messed up because of my schedule. And it took me a third time of watching that before I actually uh, saw that. And you will appreciate this as a sleeper through the best parts of movies, Brandon. I slept through basically from when Thor and Hulk fight until the fucking end. Oh, my God, bro. The third act of that movie, I slept through like the best part of it. (laughs) Twice. And I I did the same thing in uh, Dark Knight Rises. And I was like so hyped for that movie. But so So I I feel you there. I've also never actually seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail all the way through. I've fallen asleep to that movie so many times, but I've fallen asleep at different parts that I'm pretty sure I've seen all of the movie. I I just have like had to piece it together. <laughs> <Not> cohesively. <laughs> that's got a ten that's got a ten out of ten uh, Z score. Yep. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, okay, so my guess for the IMDB rating for Scream is seven point eight. Okay, fair. 
Mostly because I think some people probably think it's too on the head because they don't understand what it's going for. Brandon? Uh, I'm going to guess, yeah, probably seven. All right, Logan. It's 7.3. You guys are both pretty close between the two of you. Your powers combined. Rights rules. (laughs) Pretty close. Pretty darn close. Yeah. Uh, So it looks like... Same, Same age range looks like it has most of the... Ratings same as what we were looking at before, which doesn't surprise Makes me. Makes sense, yeah. right? Which uh, it looks like what's really driving uh, where the score is at is a lot of sevens, a lot of eights. Um, which I think like that's that's a that's pretty accurate. That's a pretty good spot to have this. I want to just point out the fact. Gen Z loving this fucking movie, and not yeah, many not, people. Only two hundred and thirty-three people. Not a ton of ratings, but eight point one average was Gen Z. Let's well, go. I mean, if you look at eighteen to nineteen, it's a little bit higher rating than the thirty to forty-four too. So, like, as the younger they get, the more they're into Scream. Interesting. Interesting. Which is yeah. I I don't know if. I mean, because okay, so even like under eighteen, you got to think of like so the last. So there was a, a short-lived MTV like television series like for Scream, and then mm-hmm. there was the last movie was 2011. But even then, like that's a while ago for people under 18. Yeah. Um, you I know, bet those so, are like, those are poor kids that their parents are making them watch it. That or I wonder <laughs> if like if this movie is getting a second life for like Gen Gen Zers via streaming. Well, yeah, totally could be. That's interesting. I, yeah, look, because streaming really does change everything when it comes to demographic voting on or yeah. reviews of movies and, and being able to see those movies and stuff. Just opens up access like crazy. But yeah. One thing that like just from all the like now this whole back end thing like fascinates me that we opened this Pandora's box last week by looking into this. But what we usually see with these films that are, you know, 20 plus years old or whatever, um, where there's this like just dramatic drop off with different age demographics. But from the ones that I've looked at, I haven't seen where the score goes up as people get younger. Yeah. That is really interesting to me because typically it's the other way around where like, you know, these like younger people are like, what? Oh my God! They're fucking calling each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that makes look at the size of that phone. Yeah, it's hard when things because I mean everything in some form is going to feel dated one way or the other, and so it's it's hard to then if it's not doesn't feel like your reality, it's hard to be inundated in it for sure. I yeah. want to I want to poll and interview these two hundred and thirty three people that have a eight point one average. Be like, why do you like this movie? What is it? How do you know what? they're not just lying about their age on IMDb? I don't know why you would do that. But. Why would you lie about being younger? <laughs> I don't know. On IMDb. <laughs> throw off the analytics. So yeah, I wonder <laughs> part of this is just the the naive nostalgia thing that's going on too. That's a good point. The kids are real into Kurt Cobain. That's a really good point. <laughs> the youths. So so two hundred and thirty three people that are Gen Zers went back like i heard that this scream movie is pretty interesting like this is the greatest thing ever this I keep is seeing so memes about the 90s I should so watch 90s this movie. 
Which hey, I, I can kind of, I can kind of appreciate that. Yeah. All right, so I think we've said all that can be said about Scream. This movie rules, uh, and this was a fun conversation, and I, I think a kind of a fun um, analysis of of two films that were basically like back to back in terms of uh, the year that the years that they were released, and. I actually meant to to point this out, and I, I think I failed to do so. the The person who wrote the screenplay of "I Know What You Did Last Summer" also wrote "Scream." Oh, interesting. Or was or was a writer on "Scream." Interesting. So not only does it seem almost exactly the same. Kevin it's... Williamson did not have the guidance of a Wes Craven on "I Know What You Did Last Summer," though. <laughs> so it cause... is very clear that his hand was missing from that one. <laughs> sense though because uh, i've always gotten this weird like those those movies always felt very similar even though they weren't necessary like they're not the same storyline they always had a similar feeling to me to me so that makes sense i think yeah i think it was time period and and you know the people that were involved and whatnot and either way this was a fun uh trip down memory lane which that was the whole point of the theme like let's get in a time machine and you know put on our uh our our, our baggy jeans and uh some, our... some jinkos and some uh yeah gra- grab a surge cola and uh <laughs> bro surge was not cola what are you talking about <laughs> whatever a surge sport drink or i'm gonna like make it. sure that i feed my tamagotchi before Yo, yeah. i kick on this movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> listen to some no doubt there you go <laughs> oh man as a as a as one of the older members of the crew here i'm sure brandon appreciated this night uh, this this was this was really for you and i brandon yeah it was definitely a trip down memory lane so thanks for making <laughs> me feel young again <laughs> it's what what we're doing here we're just we're just making dreams come true all right well uh thanks so much for all of you hopping on the pod and uh talking about some some 90s teen slasher hell yeah and uh hopefully i look forward uh, to reconvening the panel for the uh i'm uh, holding you guys i'm holding y'all to it we're doing it i want i want that to be a thing we're watching all of them all right bye thank you All right, my spooky little nerds. That's all I've got for you today. Thanks so much for checking out the episode, and thanks to my guests, Logan Herzog, Amanda Murphy, and Brandon Kester for joining me in discussing I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream. Obviously, we had a lot to say about both, but especially Scream. This one was a little long, but, you know, this is a... I feel like this is a cozy cast. You know, you settle in, you might pour yourself a nice drink, you might cuddle up, go for a long drive... Maybe have like a really gnarly, strenuous workout, but it, you know, you settle in for the long haul here on Nerds with Opinions. And I, I think that uh, you people that listen to this frequently, you, you know the deal. You get it. You get it. Not every episode's going to be this long, though. But thanks for hanging in on this long episode talking about Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer. If you're digging what I'm doing here on Nerds with Opinions, make sure you're following me on social media at nerds underscore opinions at both Twitter and Instagram, and 
Nerds with Opinions on Facebook. If you're listening to this on Spotify, make sure you're following Nerds with Opinions. And if you feel so inclined, share this episode with your homies. If you're on Apple Podcasts, rate and review this episode. It really helps me out. And I'll make sure that you are also following there as well. As always, I'm your host, Matt Holbin, and you have been listening to Nerds with Opinions.